Kevin probably, probably imagine goaltending. Um, probably imagine as far as the defensemen go as well. The Ducks are the team that's more likely just to trade chances with you. Uh, the Kings do a great job of limiting chances. The Ducks are completely content with going back and forth and just riding their shooting percentage. Um, but other than that, what are your initial impressions of Kings versus Ducks? Who would you rather play between the two of them? If you asked me a week ago, I would have said the Kings. Um, but with the injury updates and uh, the Ducks all of a sudden, Frederick Anderson concussion, uh, David Perron is out for some time, Ricardo Kell out for some time, uh, Lindholm, um, all, their entire defense, Bieksa, have all have all been injured. And they are all of a sudden, it, as hot as they've been the second half of the season, they are facing some pretty serious injuries. Um, and they are a defensive first team that uh, all of a sudden has some pretty pretty problematic injuries. Now, sort of the Predators with, with possibly, you know, Ryan Ellis has had injuries. So possibly when the playoffs roll around, their defense is fine and ready to go. Uh, but I, honestly, I think I would rather take on the uh, the Ducks and, uh, and forego the onslaught of Kings playoff march to doom where they eventually <laughs> win the cup. There's only two teams I'm ever going to want the Predators to play in the uh, Pacific. And it's only the answer I'm, o- I'm only going to give is either the Sharks or the Ducks. Those are the teams I always want to play. Don't care if they're the better teams. I just like watching the, the matchups. I mean, Ducks, Predators, they are happy to stoke that rivalry up, even though it's coming up, freaks. No. Welcome into a show that has three guys that definitely were not at the airport this afternoon because, well, traffic sucks in this town. This is the Predcast brought to you by Lions and Internet Marketing Solutions and on the Chris is Chris Link. Alex is Alex Doherty. I'm Dan Bradley. I can't I can't make it to the airport from Brentwood at a reasonable time. I can I, barely make it here in a reasonable time. I am like 10 minutes away from the airport if I at drive slowly. <laughs> so I, 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 don't, I could have gone, but... I have a job. I'm convinced. I, I still, whenever I go to the airport, I'm convinced that they actually moved it because I remember it being in a different place. The airport? Yeah. It's yeah, difficult yeah. to move an airport. Well, I think that they did. They moved possible. it. The John C. Toon Airport? Is that the one you flew out of? That's the one that... <laughs> it's it's actually, it's moving north by one inch every five years until it's in Hendersonville and then it'll stop. It's kind of like the uh, the Berenstein Bears argument. Have you heard this? Oh, yeah. yeah the Berenstein versus Berenstein. Like the A versus the E. Right, I just know it was Bernstein or Berenstein. Well, either way, the, the argument being that if you, some people remember it as with an A, and some people remember it with an E, but it actually is just an A. It always has been. I think the airport's the same way. It's not where we think it is. No, it's not. Hmm. That's interesting. The airport's actually in Jolton. That's right. <laughs> it's, it, it's weird. That it's ten minutes away. Then that's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's a, it's a geographical oddity. It's it's ten minutes from everywhere. That'd be, no, then it'll be at 100 Oaks. Because 100 Oaks, it's like the most accessible part of the city. With the, with the one exception of trying to get to Franklin Road from 65. It's just not going to happen. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, if you can somehow get hockey out of your weekend, how was your weekend? 
Uh, it was pretty good. It was the it was the back end of my vacation. It was just PTO, you know, not being at work. I didn't go anywhere, really. Um, it was just peaceful. I got to be bored for a while. Uh, there was there was terrible, terrible MLS soccer being played. Not that MLS is terrible, just it was not a good soccer weekend. Spurs didn't play until today at 2 p.m., which was weird. Um, I watched some of that at work. Um, Mine was decent. Yeah, it was quiet. I, uh, I planted a garden, planted some tomatoes, some peppers, cilantro. Ooh. They were out of basil, so I have to go back and plant some basil, but... You are like a third of the way to to, to some great guacamole. Well, it, we also uh, we also planted some cucumbers as well. So really, it's, it's there's no cucumbers in guacamole no, though. Not really. <laughs> onions? No, no onions. Uh, Do people plant onions in in home? Like not like just not spring onions, just like regular bulb onions. Um, I'm a bad person to ask about that. I know. I know personally, I like a little bit of scallions or some red onions in mine. Like I actually, I actually use really I use red onion, of course. Yeah. Um. Actually, I'll use a combination, but yeah, I do make good guacamole. So I, it's I, true. I planted a garden, and um, also di- I did watch a good bit of of soccer. You, Liverpool pulled out a nice win, and um, wrapped, wrapped up <laughs> wrapped up three three wins in the last week. So uh, including the uh, huge win over Dortmund. So wow, that's interesting. Yeah, that's a double screw you, Dan. We're 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 five <laughs> points from first place. Isn't that weird? Did you guys by chance see the Leicester City game? I saw Vardy get suspend, get a red card. Right, yeah, so I missed th- it. All right, so storyline, in case you're not familiar, the Leicester City right now are, are leading the Premier League, which this is the equivalent of uh, what's a really terrible uh, NHL team that has never won anything and... Minnesota Wild. Mm, no, because Minnesota people actually expect them to win with their salary cap. Let's say, you know what, the Coyotes. I, th- I was going to say Arizona. Let's say, say the Coyotes are, are running away with winning the league and, you know... They only have like one. They only have what one game left to win before they actually clinch the title at this point, right? It's gonna happen. Well, no, they're, I mean they've got there's I think three or four games yeah. left, and but they're they're only five points up on second place, so there's a little ways to go. That's true, but because Spurs have four games to play, and I and I I think Leicester also has four, so it's yeah. not. But Vardy was suspended. Vardy was is going. He got a red card, so he suspended at least one game. He yeah. also they announced that he has there's going to be supplemental dis, dis, supplemental discipline. Um, because he pointed at the ref, uh, he waved his finger at the ref and called him something that we cannot even approach saying wow. on this podcast. Um, I won't even come with a rhyme for it because I don't even plant the <laughs> yeah, words right. in the head. <laughs> right. Um, but there, so there's a very good chance he could be suspended for a second game. Uh, and Vardy already has some issues because it's sort of like if to, to grab Shane what you were saying. <laughs> well, if Shane Doan were also a like public colossal racist. Uh, so oh, that so it would be sort of like yeah Shane Doan, also racist would, would is sort of like the Leicester City Vardy thing. I like the comparison with Arizona. However, I think it's even less than that because you've got Man City, Chelsea, Man United, all with around two hundred million dollar payrolls. You know what Leicester City's payroll is? Like what thirty? Forty eight. Oof. So twenty five percent of their payroll, and here they are. Just they've been dominating all year long. Yeah, that's and insane. The the storyline of the game is is that uh, Vardy gets suspended. Vardy gets a red card for embellishment. It was bad. It was bad. It wasn't as bad as I thought because when I saw the other side replays, he definitely tried to sell it, but 
I don't. I, I mean, if you, the, the replay that the ref saw, I mean, it, it was sort of from what the ref saw. You're right. That it was he rough. kicked his feet out, and it was like, oh no, look at me! And he actually hooked his leg around the other guy to bring him down with. I would have just felt if I was masterful. If I was referring that, I was supposed to say, you know what, play on. It but, was masterful diving, is what I'm saying. Is I think that's the reason it was called, because the diving was so masterful. The ref was like, I I want to admire this, but I have to do something because. If someone is that good at diving, they must be penalized. So this is like the ultimate exercise in game management, though. Like the, I mean, never mind. Like the NHL has its own share of game management, but what Leicester City and uh, West Ham put on was absolute game management. So Leicester's already up one. Leicester scores a goal, even though they're down to ten men. West Ham sieges the uh, sieges the net of Leicester. They get a penalty awarded, and it was kind of an iffy penalty. It was a so-so, yeah. It was a very iffy penalty. So. 1-1, and then West Ham scores a legit goal. Now they're up 2-1. So Leicester City's getting ready to drop the game, and then lo and behold, they get the makeup call. Mm. I mean, now the makeup call was after uh, Huth. What should have been was, a penalty. It uh, should have been a penalty because Huth should have gotten a penalty um, awarded to him because he was held down. It was worse uh, than the penalty on the other end of the, of the field. Yeah, it was worse than the other penalty call. Uh, and so the ref... Uh, and I am very much against the two wrongs make a right mentality that some referees take, uh, but that's what they did, and you know, gave Leicester City the point, and very Spurs much, fans everywhere cried a little bit. Was it very much? Was it like on par with like uh, NHL level game management, or uh, is this just peak game management? It, at its I, finest? It, it was the guy, the the play by play guys were trying so hard to say, well, yeah, that could be. I mean, it was like it was, <laughs> it was like he ran across him, like it was shoulder to shoulder. It was a shoulder-to-shoulder challenge. It was nothing. If it hadn't been the box, it would even whistled a uh, a foul. But the guy, but the ref was like, "Aha! I have an escape plan." <laughs> yeah. That, that. Otherwise, he would have. I mean, the, I saw like a, someone say that um, referees in England get better security than the Queen, which half of that I believe. I am. Yeah. I am all in on on the Leicester bandwagon. I, I really hope that they pull it off. Hey, hey, boo! I don't care. I I really yeah, want it. I'm, you, I, um, I can't. You know, you know how long it's been since a team outside of the Big Four or Leicester City has finished at the top of the Premier League? I do. I don't even know if we were born. It was Blackburn Rovers was the only one besides the main mm-hmm. ones. Yeah. Yeah, and Leicester's in that grouping. Yeah. You know who's not? Spurs. <laughs> so, Liverpool. oh, you, you, I mean, you, you, yeah, Spurs it's payroll? different, but it's still uh, less than any of the, any of the Big Five. They've, they, have the, they typically have the seventh highest payroll in the Premier League. So they tend to be about the seventh highest. Mm-hmm. This is fun. We're kind of we're we're kind of drawing a. I like drawing yeah. similarities to soccer. To I'm gonna at least look up what. Of course, Tottenham. the the big thing about the about Tottenham is that they actually are profitable, unlike most Premier League teams. Yeah, they're not. You know, unless like, unless like, uh, unlike most soccer clubs, most soccer clubs bleed money like crazy. Yeah, they, we've get a good. They have a good chairman. Seriously, Daniel Levy for for GM of the Predators. I take that. <laughs> But I, I don't. I'm, I'm all in on the Leicester bandwagon. I've got. I, I want him to do it. I want to see him do it. Just Other teams some, be damned. It's something different. You know that league needs it badly, just like the NHL needs it. You know, it's something different. You know? I think it's more like the Lake Erie Monsters coming up to the NHL and winning the Stanley Cup. That's what it's like. But even the that's Col- ridiculous. <laughs> that's ridiculous. We're talking about doing this with Columbus's prospects. I mean, some years that would be plausible, but well, look at let's say the Texas Stars. Because they're good. Hershey Bears, Texas How Stars. About, why don't we just go to Toronto Marlies? They already demonstrate they can win the NHL level. <laughs> that, that's true. That is very there we true. Go. There we go. That's a, probably a better comparison. Settled. Marlies. All right. Except um, I don't want the Marlies to win. No. Friday night, uh, game one series. I, I was 
I don't know how nervous you guys were about this one. Just you know, the game one's always fun. You know, game one, there's usually the feeling out process, like a couple of boxers staring at each other across the ring and not really trading a whole lot of shots. But it didn't take too long for the teams to start hating each other again. And that's always great for business. Um, the top line, let's start with there. Top line of Ryan Johansson, James Neal, and Callie Yarncroak straight up owned Ryan Kessler. The shot it's attempts true. were ridiculous. Like what, plus 19, plus 16? It was something stupid. So uh, full marks to Johansson, full marks to James Neal for uh, just having a great night out full there. Full marks to Kelly Yarncroak is you're very likable. Absolutely, he's you know he's probably he's probably the most likable one on that line. Even though I do love me some Johansson, um, there were a couple matchups that didn't go Nashville's way on this. Uh, Mike Ribeiro versus Kim Ryan Getzlaff is not something that we want to see. Thankfully, it only happened for about five minutes in game one. Uh, mostly, mostly in the first and third period because you know last change goes to the Ducks in that one. Um, but where do you guys want to start with this? Ended up being a three-two win for the Predators. A uh, uh, lot of reasons to be excited. Yeah, I mean, one thing that, that's been worrying me so, th- so far throughout the series is honestly Mike Ribeiro. Mm-hmm. Um, not because of any of the normal reasons, to be honest, uh, but more because he just looks slower than everyone else on the ice on either side of the puck. It, it, the I, I I think there were at least two offside calls against the Predators where. I'm pretty sure that the forward, the other forwards were so confused how they were offside when they realized that Mike Ribeiro was just sort of like up the ice at his, I, I don't know what pace. Um, I, I think he, it's fine for this year's playoffs. I, I think, you know, he's there just to distribute the puck, but it makes me really nervous about his legs for next season. I mean, if he's struggling in the, in the playoffs this year and he's got another year in his contract, what's that year going to be like? Either that or he's just taking it easy. The, why? It's. I mean, you're you're the wild card team on 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 foreign ice in the playoffs, and no one's picked you to win. It, you maybe, think you'd have a little bit of something? It, I think it's probably more that Smith and Forsberg do so much. I, I don't. This sounds bad to say, but I I think that maybe he's just letting them do their thing and and able to at least slow it down in some way. I mean. Yes, he is. He looks slow, but I think that's intentional. He's he's allowing Forsberg and Smith to do their thing, and and it, if it makes him look like he's the uh, the change up to their fastball, I think that's that's okay. Now, I don't think he's had a great series so far, but no, I, I like that. He's been he hasn't been good, but I'm gonna still give reasons why it's okay. <laughs> That's so. That's that's analysis. Here's that's analysis. Perhaps, it's not based on anything. I mean, let's not forget that Forsberg and Smith are both two very young guys, or very fast guys. With I think I think the only thing I can justify Ribeiro and his pace is that maybe he's trying to avoid them being completely out of position. That's the only thing I can think of because I see what you're seeing as far as Ribeiro so far behind the play that it's almost a liability. But at the same time, that line's not well, allowing a whole lot of odd, odd man rushes I mean, going the, the other the, way. The one. The, the instance that stands out is uh, Robert gets the puck. He's going for the zone entry. He's got Forsberg, who is, who's ready to go. Like, Forsberg is skating. He keeps looking over Ribeiro and like, okay, can I go, can I go, can I go? And finally, it's like, all right. And then there's an offside whistle. Forsberg kind of looks over his shoulder, and he has this kind of like, what the hell just happened thing? Because Ribeiro is sort of still going across the line, and he's like, ah. I was looking. Well, er- how is he still not across the line? Early on, the the Forsberg Ribeiro Smith line wasn't fantastic in the first part of that game. They got better as they went on, especially Forsberg. He had a number of missed passes. He did not. He was he wasn't really on. Smith was somewhere in between. Um, 
luckily they they turned it on and and got did did end up getting a goal out of it even though it was a lucky deflection but um to me that this this game starts with what what was the narrative that we had going in was if the predators can protect Rene from having to do too much and from avoiding the potential disaster that he could face in goal then they would win especially on the PK yeah. and that is exactly what happened they were able to protect him he had two high danger saves that's it he had to make two high danger saves he had to make zero medium danger saves the all, all the rest <laughs> All I mean, the rest were, were low danger. I mean, yeah, that's the interesting thing is despite all the pucks bouncing around in, in really both games, when you looked at, you know, the the, the Corsi charts or the shot attempt charts that showed, you know, them being neck and neck, when you parse them out as high danger chances, it's a totally different game. It was very much the Ducks throwing whatever they had in the net and the Predators actually getting into dangerous spots and taking advantage of exactly. of the, the Ducks' defense. The, on, on Gibson, on the other, on the other hand, the... Uh, the Predators had four, seven high-danger shots, three medium-danger shots. Um, the Predators were doing a much better job of getting into those dangerous spots. I guess you could you could call the Kessler goal medium-danger. There was traffic in front. It was kind of on that line. But for the most part, the, the Predators kept everything to the outside, and Brine was... I mean, he was good, but he just did what he was supposed to do. He, he didn't wasn't, have to be great. He I, didn't I, have to be great. You, can, you can't almost be shocked by that, of course, or surprised, because this is the NHL team that was... That led the league in in suppressing the high danger chances. I mean, right. they said we're not going to tr- we're not suppressing shots, we're suppressing the shots that score goals, and that's paying it's taken off them really well. It took them about two thirds of the year to figure that part of it out, though, because uh, there were th- there were some times of the year where they were out shooting teams two and a half to one or two to one, yep. and still losing two to one because they were allowing those one or two shots that it was volume over oh, quality. It, it, yeah, and well, also Pecky was a wreck at that point. That yes. did not help. Yes, he was. There's no, there's no other way to say it. He was kind of a wreck every times of that, of that one. I think it, you you saw in game one that the Predators are just a better five on five team. I mean, that's it's just painfully obvious watching that. No, they're a very good five on five team. It's just they, they, I, I'm not excited by their special teams play. I mean, their their PK is fine, but mm-hmm. they are going against the Anaheim Ducks penalty kill, which gets a lot of practice because the Ducks take a ton of penalties. Sure. But they also have a very good penalty kill. Uh, they're very active penalty kill, which you and I we both like active penalty kills. Um, but circling back around to your point, Alex, uh, looking at just the high danger, looking at just where the shot attempts are coming at from the ice, there was only two shots that actually came anywhere close to below the, the face-off circles, uh, both from the... Um, about duck shots? Duck shots, yeah. yeah. Only two of them. And uh, Rene made both those saves. The other two were either missed or blocked. Right. The other four were either missed or blocked. Going even further back, just, just outside the dots, there's still nothing on net. Right. The medium danger saves, like you were talking about, he didn't have to do any of those. There's a couple of shots from weird angles, like from the bottom of the face-off circle, way almost towards the half wall. They did a really good job of at least insulating themselves. They didn't treat him like he was Devin Dubnik, but at the same time, they at least showed a little bit more patience as far as getting the puck out of the zone. They weren't rushing themselves to get out of the zone with it. And meanwhile, look at the Predators. Uh, Predators, just all kinds of chances right in the, the most dangerous part of the ice. So that's exciting right there. That to me is probably the, is the biggest takeaway from game one. Starting with the lead was a big help, you know, and at times James Neal was just skating right past guys. I mean, we're talking about the Anaheim Ducks who roll out a pretty good defensive core, not a very flashy defensive core, but Cam Fallerson sucks. Sammy Vatnin's pretty good. Hampus Lindholm's very good. I mean, they're not. Kevin BX is a recognizable name. Well, we're talking about game one. He wasn't in game one. He was uh, not in the game one. He came no. in game two. Josh Manson. Well, Josh Manson had a great first period until he got 
blown <laughs> up. So before we get to the before we get to the hit on that, uh, <laughs> why why was the, the top line able to do as much damage against a line that frankly we were scared of with the Kessler Silverberg line? I I think it actually is a bigger it's a it's a bigger picture thing. And it goes back to what you were talking about. Last year and earlier this year, the Predators were taking vol- a volume of shots from outside and from, from low dangerous spots. When did it change? When Johansson got here. When Johansson got here, we started seeing a much more focused central in, in the central parts of the ice. And I think, I think Johansson is the difference there. He may not have scored. He may not have been... Um, I don't. Did he have a point? I think he might have a point yeah, in that yeah, game. He had, yeah, he was credited with an assist after the fact with uh, with Neil's goal. I think the difference is they they were able to. It, with the arrival of Johansson has been just unbelievably successful, and not just in terms of goals on the on the board. Uh, Link, you got anything as far as I'm on the top line? Just, I mean, Ryan Johansson was a plus 19 um, on attempted shots, and most of that coming against the Kessler line. Yeah, when it, with the Kessler line. Ryan Kessler doesn't worry me too nearly as much now as he did when they played against him when he was with the Canucks. Um, I mean, we're we're seeing a Ryan Kessler at the end of his career type Ryan Kessler, not the same player. I mean, he's been he's had a decent year, had a very good year by his standards, but I, I, on a different team, not not a dreadful Canucks thing. Yeah, understood. Um, understood. <laughs> you know, the Canucks. Yeah, thing. he's a, he's in a Bruce Boudreau coach team. It's going to be a very different thing. But if you're talking about the danger of him offensively versus the danger of him as a two-way forward, because uh, that's the concern is is how he's going to function as as counterplay and, and taking things away from your top line and and really moving aggressively. I mean, I'm assuming that's what you're really yeah. going after. What I'm what I'm going so, with that also is that if you're going to have a you know what you needed to have either the top line produce if they're going to be playing against the Castle line because. Getzoff's going to take Ribeiro out of the game. And then you have to worry about the Mike Fisher line going against the Ricard, Raquel, and Corey Perry line, which has been pretty good for most of the year. So you're essentially, this was the only isolated yep. matchup. I thought it was going to be Ribeiro against Kessler, but I'd much rather have Johansson yeah. against Kessler. But, yeah, and it, yeah. I, I think the combination you got Johansson's size, and then I don't, Kessler's physical play isn't necessarily the same. I mean, he's gone through a lot of injuries. He's pretty beat up. It's the postseason. I don't expect him to be 100% on his two-way you know, hitting and taking the body and crossing turn and basically causing a disruption. It's it's, it's Silverberg. It's always typically going to be Silverberg that's going to worm in that line, not because he's a huge point scorer, but because of as we saw, I can't remember if it was game one or game two, where he just got a turnover and just burned the Predators um, on a breakaway goal. Game two, yeah. game two. That was like that was the opening goal for game two. Yes. Yeah, uh, it was Cogliano. Was, oh, well, yeah. which one was the Silverberg? Uh, chance where he got uh, we picked up the puck was that, I'm trying to remember if it was game one or game two where he picked up the puck I don't know if we were describing was the Cogliano goal but Silverberg did score um, we'll come back to I just want to remember which which yeah. game it was in uh, Silverberg didn't score in the uh, even strength in game one okay so we'll circle it was back some turn it. <laughs> it was a turnover and it was the line I can see it in my head I can't remember which game it's in he didn't may not have scored but it was it was a matter yeah. of counterattacking Cogliano's well, okay. a guy that's all, this is the third guy on that line anyways with uh, with Kessler and Silverberg right Cogliano does not get near the national pub that uh, that Silverberg and Kessler get but Cogliano's a guy that really I think solidifies them as a line and more so than just a pairing yes but if you're talking about counterattacking and you have Cogliano on one side, you have Silverberg on the other side, you've got a lot of speed in both those players. And if you give them any space, if you give a turnover, anything like that, they're going to be flying up the ice in the opposite direction. Kessler's going to be trailing behind doing whatever Kessler does. 
and he'll ben- once he gets into the zone, he'll benefit from whatever Silverberg and and, and Cogliano set up. Um, and it's, so it's that that speed you get from those guys. That's what always concerned me about that particular line. Necessarily, not really Ryan Kessler, but what can happen when the puck gets turned over if it gets turned over. Right. Um, Rene started a bit rough. He had kind of a um, kind of a rough like first ten minutes or so, which already I'm like already chewing through my fingers. Right. Oh no! Like the, the Predators already have a one nothing lead, and they're just going to sit back and just let the Ducks pick their spots. But after the first period, he looked pretty good. Yeah, that five on three, which we kind of that had kind of the same old ending as you would expect a five on three against the Anaheim Ducks would look. But they only allowed one. Not terribly upset about it. Going to the locker room, tied at one. But Rene seemed to get better as the game went on. That's all we can ask for at that point. We're not asking him to be great. Just needs to be okay. He needs to be good. But the play that everyone was talking about in game one was uh, other than the other than the goals, of course, was uh, Forsberg's hit on Josh Manson. Uh, for those who didn't see it, Josh Manson setting up to take the last shot of the period. It would have been a buzzer beater, and Forsberg blows him up. Now, this play took place right in the middle of the, of the high slot, right in the middle of the um, of the face-off circles there. Manson is a little bit crouched down because he's in the follow-through of his shot, and that causes his head to uh, be in more of a precarious position against uh, against Forsberg's oncoming uh, shoulder. And uh, we, don't, we have not seen Manson since. So what did you guys think about the hit? Was it? I mean, Forsberg doesn't have a history of anything like that with the league. He's a big, powerful guy, though. Where do you come out on this? I, I certainly don't think he was. I mean, there was, there's no argument that he was targeting the head. Not you can't argue that he was trying to target the head. Forsberg's just not going to do that. He's not going to be a guy who's going to aim for someone's head and try to take it out. Uh, so that tells me that you know you only have two things. One, he he didn't pay attention, which he's still liable for, or it's just you know a change of position. I'm liable to. I mean. It, favor the change in position um you know he's coming in for the hit uh the 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 shots being taken these things happen and it sucks but it happens uh but i mean you can watch that footage a thousand times at all different speeds and you're gonna have a different opinion every time it's it's one of those really borderline things unfortunately i really didn't even see it as that borderline i i thought there was nothing wrong with it i thought it was a perfectly fine hockey play forsberg didn't leave his feet um Manson went went low uh, to to make the shot, and Forsberg finished his check. I, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It was almost like, however, it, it made me think of the uh, the Volchinkov from last year, where he he was going in for a check and he went high. If you remember that, he got suspended two games, I believe. That was or well, all it was early in the regular season, but it was kind of a similar. Like he was just trying to ch- check a guy off the puck, but he came in hard and he came in high. For, Forsberg did neither of those things. Stayed on his feet. Didn't. There was no elbow. It was just a, a clean shoulder check. I I didn't see anything wrong with it. And and to, to hear people complaining about it is well, just there was no penalty or anything. No, there was no, no penalty. penalty. Nothing. Yeah. No. I mean, the, it'd be one thing if he left his feet. It'd be another thing if his elbow was up. But his elbow was down. His skates were on the ice. Yeah. Right. Know, ultimately, yeah. there's there's a reason hockey players wear helmets. It's not just because of pucks and and the ice being hard. It's because people throw hits. Pl- plenty more play- players get injured by normal, regular, legal hits in hockey than do illegal hits. I would imagine. Well, we have uh, a that's not based on pretty anything, big but... barometer of what's legal anymore. Apparently, yeah. Plus, if you do that in a, per- a weighted a percentage, a weighted percentage, you'd have to do a weighted percentage and. The rate of I'm sure I'm sure the rate yeah. of injury in illegal hits is higher, but I'm talking about just I mean, but that was a legal hit. You're, you're comparing so. car accidents to plane crashes, right? Like more right. people die with plane crashes, right? Car right. accidents, they do plane crashes. Right. Gotcha. Um, 
that's incredibly terrible and insensitive analogy. Um, we can make it worse. We can make it worse. We could go darker. Yeah, let's not. <laughs> so all's well that ends well. The Predators take a 3-2 lead off a kind of a wonky half pass, half shot from Forsberg that was aimed for Smith and ends up bouncing off a Ducks defender. So the Preds are up 3-2, to two, less than a minute remaining out there. And the old sheriff of the Old West, Paul Gostad, <laughs> mounts his faithful steed and heads into the defensive zone for a faceoff. Loses. And another. And loses. Another. And another. Loses. And another. Loses. He went 0 for 4 against Kessler in the final minute of the game. And if there's one... Bad, bad. bad. This is... Okay. Paul Gostad, up until this point, was actually having a very good Paul Gostad game. He actually was even on shot attempts against Ryan Getzlaff. That's a big deal for, for Paul Gostad. Yeah, that Paul Gostad. Was it, yeah. What was the game? Was it... Uh, I think it was game one where Corey Perry had zero shots on net. Uh, game two. Was that game two? I... I that, this is what happens when games start at 9.45, and I'm usually, like, in bed by 10.30. Cool. Um, the problem I have with Gostad with this is that he's got one job, man. He's got one job. Right. Yeah, he's got possibly the least important job. I mean, he's sort of like putting a canary outside of the mine. <laughs> like, I guess it's <laughs> I guess it's pretty, and it sings a nice song, but it doesn't do a damn thing. I... The, pre- the Predators' face-off numbers through both games were not good. Bad. Um, fortunately, a lot of very smart people have demonstrated that face-offs have a very, very small impact on the outcome of a game. They do. However, certain instances you need face-offs. Yes, and this was one of them. With an opposing goalie pulled, yeah, you need to win at least one of those right. three. So ultimately, the decision you make in those instances is, do we put a guy who's got a reputation for being a great face-off guy out there, or do we put out players and personnel who, if we win the face-off, can get the puck into a less dangerous position. Because if, if Gossett wins the faceoff, the most likely outcome in that situation is icing the puck. If the play, if the players that are typically around Gossett are out there, yes. Now, I just kind of to circle back around to one event, uh, Paul Gossett's night so far, or night at that point. Uh, four and a half minutes played against Ryan Getzlav. Two events for, two, event, two shots against, uh, or shot attempts against. Same with Perron, about three minutes. Corey Perry... One event four zero against. That's solid. Yeah, Cogliano. The only the only line that gave him trouble was the Raquel and uh, Chris Stewart. He went zero and four against them. But <laughs> up until that point, Gostad was having himself a very good Paul Gostad night. How, how many Corsi four did he have total? Uh, was it somewhere um, in the seven eight range? Something like that. Man, this is this is a uncharted territory of us like looking up attempts. For Paul Gostad offensive four machine. Four for seven. Yeah, if he went four and seven, four four uh, seven against. Oh, okay, all right. So, so and, and over nine minutes of, of even strength time, that's okay. For of Gostad. primarily defensive zone. Work, primarily probably. defensive zone work. I'm okay with that. One not. thing about the faceoffs that I noticed. Did you? To me, I, I know that we're charting into a very low percentage and not that important as 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 Chris just pointed out, but. One thing I noticed about what he was doing, he he was tr- he was scrumming it. He was trying to just sit on the puck and wait for his wingers to come, but his wingers weren't coming. His wingers were waiting for the puck to come behind in the defense too, and so he it just ended up being Paul Gostad like a rugby scrum against the world, which is never a good situation. And I, I the other other players that did differently, Cody Bass for example, uh, were actually trying to pull the puck back, and. I don't know. I, it seemed to be just a bad strategy, but that's enough on faceoffs for me. Well, aside from from a couple boneheaded Cody Bass decisions, I've we've got two games now of Cody Bass, and other than like that really stupid penalty against Ryan Garbutt, 
I've actually been pleasantly I'm surprised. More than okay with what he, how he's done. Yeah, he's acted as uh, a bit of a lightning rod for uh, the Predators in that all of the negative attention that seems to come come to them just seems to focus on Bass instead of the rest of the team. And Bass is a mature enough player who has you know, had his ego squashed due to the fact that he's a career AHLer where he's just, he knows how to manage a game. Which is impre- which is really impressive from a guy who's got a reputation as an enforcer. Knowing how to manage a game without doing what you're known for doing is really admirable. When you can take Corey Perry off the ice and draw a penalty against him without Oh my gosh. That, that was, was that was glorious. Huge. That's game two, but that was just absolutely hey, glorious. Dan, you know me. I'm I'm like I've merged him into game one point five at this point you in know my what, brain. The problem with me is that the, is the arena because the arena looks it's so dark and just so it Honda Center always comes across as very dark on TV. It may just be me thinking that, but yeah, Honda's usually very spacious, lots of natural light let in. Yeah, and and then Honda Center's the exact opposite, where it's you know it's this you know gorgeous outside building, and then you get inside, it's just like a bad '90s mall. It's a metaphor for Anaheim as a city. Yeah, it's got actually a like teal, like jade colored roof trusses, and they think they still have the, the original eggplant seats. Like it's not a very pretty building on the inside, unless you like eggplants. One like eggplant. final note on Cody Bass: the the one thing he always will have going for him, he will hunt this till the day he dies. He is not Eric Nystrom. That is exactly, he will always have that. Man, after my own heart, Cody Bass, right there. And, and that's also the, the condition we have to put on is the comparison for him is Eric Nystrom, who is just a black hole. Eric Nystrom would have would have tried to have a nothing fight at this point. Cody Bass has yet to drop the gloves. And I think he knows that, you know what, this is a long series. I'm going to get mine at some point. <laughs> I don't need to just yet. You know, the team's doing well. I don't need to be that guy now. And some of this, I think, comes back to, uh, there's actually a really good Cody Bass interview that uh, WNSR did. I need to see if I can find that and put that in links one day. But uh, he talks about him and Mike Fisher, because uh, Bass was part of the run that uh, the Senators had when they went, to the, uh, they went to the cup final with Fisher. And it makes me think that, I wonder if this was like a leadership decision that Fisher said, that, you know what, we need a guy like him for the hmm. roster, because, and Laviolette has not been afraid to play Bass, because he, he you know, when, when uh, Flyers went on their run and when the Canes went on their run, they had players like Bass. They certainly did. And they also had players like Zach Ronaldo. Yes, they did. Now, Bass is not to that level or anywhere close. No, he, he probably actually has a, like, he's not a sociopath, so. I changed the so, game. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I mean, where would we be if I didn't murder Latang out there? <laughs> Wouldn't be a third-round draft pick in the Flyers' uh, back pocket. I can't believe the Bruins did that. And, and people still expect them to make the playoffs. <laughs> I think it's only a matter of time before if if Bass truly messes something up and causes either a goal or perhaps even a game, uh, I, all those good feelings go oh, away. Oh, yeah. He's on borrowed time, and I think he knows it. Yeah. But at the, at the end of the day, you know what? I, you're playing the Anaheim Ducks. This is, this is the Anaheim Ducks hockey. And game two was nearly peak Anaheim Ducks hockey when it's not going well. I put out on Twitter that uh, game two is like the, ascent, is like the sum of all Everything bad the Anaheim Ducks have done behind the play, finally getting them. I think it was it was so so typical for them, and and there was the quote from Boudreaux that was on Twitter today, um, talking about how he was disappointed his his right. veterans for being the ones who kept taking penalties. And I'm like, that's how they play hockey. That's how they've played hockey for years. Yeah. You've even brought in guys that also play like that. I mean, you this... brought in Kevin Bieksa. You brought in Ryan Kessler. Mm-hmm. What did you expect? I mean, did you, did you know? I mean. This is a team who came out in the third period uh, on Sunday night, and yeah, I'm sure 
Ryan Getzloff managed to skate directly in front of Rena and just completely wipe out. A guy who's paid $8.6 million a year. There is not a single body near him, and he managed to find his way into Rene. And in his home building. <laughs> yeah. I, and, and then I, I, who who ran? Who was the next guy who ran? Um, I think it was Raquel. Was it Raquel who also took a run at Pekka? And Raquel's a young guy, too. I'm kind of surprised that he's... Well, he is playing with Corey Perry, but... The the play that everyone said we've gotten like a over a hundred retweets with it already is the um, everyone was focused on the James Neal drive by kind of swipe at John Gibson and I know Kessler's behind him and he may be messing with his stick but I still th- I still it's James Neal I expect he's going to do this kind of thing right he has that edge to him so I'll, fine I'll, I'll admit it probably James Neal took a swipe at John Gibson what Sportsnet did not show immediately until someone commented to them. This is what happened four minutes earlier when Ryan Kessler takes a blatant swipe directly at Rene's throat. Right. Yeah, uh, there was definitely a lot of going back and forth. And the thing that, that blew my mind about the Neal incident is that people seem to have forgotten that James Neal used to do stuff like that all the time. He used to do worse stuff like that, and he was another. He cities. tried to kill. Try tried to kill Claude Drew on the ice. You cannot convince me otherwise that yeah, he just. Like there was, there was actually, uh, I've rewatched that clip about five or eight times at this point, uh, over the last few years where the, even the announcers are like Pierre McGuire saying they got to get Neil off the ice. Otherwise there's going to be, I mean, they, they were worried about him skating from the penalty box to the bench before the flyers were going to jump him. That's how bad they wanted a piece of James Neal. To, to me, this whole, the Neil and Kessler plays, look, I'm willing to admit, I, I don't, I don't care about he lifted his stick. I'm willing to admit that it was a cheap shot. And I don't get why people are not willing to do that. Why? Why? Why are too many fans are just so unwilling to see the fault in their own players to say to admit that they that they played dirty or they played beyond the whistle? And I'm directing that at at Predators fans, at Ducks fans, at Flyers fans, perhaps. No, it, it's Radko a Gudis. People, people, leave Radko Gudis yeah, no, alone. People rally around their players yeah. like family, like cult leaders. I mean, I still I've referenced this before in the show, but. I, don't, it, I think it might have been last season, season before, where you know Rich Clune called up a guy like on his like some random guy and harassed him for like thirty minutes and like tortured the guy on the phone and recorded and posted on Twitter and everyone's like, "Go Clune, right. you're the best. Everyone loves you. You showed that guy." And the guy on the phone, if you just listen to it, it's so tragic because the guy wants he's like, you know, I was uncalled for. I'm really sorry. I wasn't thinking. And Clune just goes on and on and on and makes the guy suffer. And it's like. Why would you praise that? Yeah. But it's it's what fans do with with their players, and it's unfortunate. But and it's I think the way things are, I think that breaches even um, a, even a further off ice kind of thing. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, literally, no one but me was upset about that no, was, at the I, time. I, once you brought it to my attention, I was um, I didn't realize everything that was going on because this is the time I was just trying to. I think that was what twenty. That was twenty fourteen, right? I, I it was either last year or the year before. I can't. I remember. had to be twenty fourteen because Clune was on the team last year. Clune was not. So on yeah, the, it had been the prior. Yeah, yeah, it was. That, at that yeah. point, I'm just trying to like. I just, but yeah, I, I mean, I say there's nothing we can do, but it's just it's it's really unfortunate. Um, but I mean, I'm I'm obviously someone who does take behavior very seriously. I don't think anyone would question that at no. this point. But but uh, pre- Predators fans especially need to need to be okay saying, look, Neil is the kind of player he is. There are a lot of players that a he, lot of teams that do not like him because been, of how he plays. He has been playing much more cleanly in Nashville. And maybe that maybe people have such short memories they've forgotten who he was before his two years in so far in Nashville, um, where he's been kind of diet James Neal. 
on the on the physicality side, yes. But as far as like on the goal scoring side, James Neal's been well. No, I mean as far as the impressive. the behavior issues, right? Yeah, the on ice yeah. behavior issues, not not his not his actual like what he's paid to do. Yeah, it just it bothers me more about not, it's not just not willing to admit your own players are, are play that way, but then how quick they are to point the fingers at other players who do. Look, I'm willing to. I, I feel like I have a right, and all of us do, for talking about how awful of a person Ryan Kessler is because we're able to admit that James Neal does a little bit of that too. Yeah, my gripe was more the fact that Sportsnet did a, gotta yeah. see it, James Neal takes a swipe. Like, did you not see what happened right. four minutes earlier? He was giving the Ducks a receipt, you know? That's what you do when you, when something like that happens mm-hmm. on your end of the goalie, you, right. your end of the ice. I, mean, I, I have to think that for the national media, a little bit of focusing on Neal was about personality for the Predators because if there's one thing if it, it really uh, bugs me about the organization is that the is that there's not really a ton of there's not a strong personality to to the outside world sure they know the names but it's it's so scrubbed clean and maintained that there doesn't really feel like anything there even the wild who have achieved far less than the predators have more of a personality perception in the market on par the wild what, on for par. achievement yeah, or for wild, personality. The Wild have made the conference finals before. I mean, that was under the Jacques Lemaire, you know, trap everybody to death. But yeah, the Wild, are, they're on par. Okay, fine. Yeah. I'll give you I, But par. I get what you're saying. Um, yeah. But there's more person, people associate, they have like, there's things like, it's like the Wild and they have the Minnesota thing and, and they have the state of hockey. And, a lot of college and players. All the college players. Yeah. And, and, and we still in Nashville have to go through the uh, honky-tonk country thing. Sure. And that's partially the organization's fault for embracing it so much. And it's partially the organization's fault for being so squeaky clean with how they handle the media well, that it, it creates a very sterile environment. But I, So that's why when something like this happens that you can make a flash thing out of and you're trying to build up a, a, a series that's actually really exciting, but no one cares about one of the teams, you need to seize on, on something. And that's a really cheap, easy thing to seize on, unfortunately. I think it doesn't help when you're two most nationally known players Shea Weber and Pecorine are such quiet leaders I mean Pecorine is actually not that quiet but but Shea Weber he's a goalkeeper doesn't, yeah and and I think I think that's part of it if if, if it was I don't know PK Subban or or Carey Price Brett, Brent Burns or Carey Price or Carey Price is a goaltender with a lot of personality so I, I think I think if it was anyone but you're I think you're right I think the 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 James Neal thing is more about kind of shaping the narrative of, of the team and, and figuring out that hey this team actually has some uh, kind of bite to it and I like uh it. Yeah, yeah I like being the villain. I want to be the villain. All right, I, and I think it's I, like I, said, I don't think it's. I think that's not going to last. Um, that not. sort of thing. Probably um, not. But but, you know, but you're right about this. That it, you know, both of you hit the nail on the head on this. Is that it's some kind of personality with this team. When this team went on on a mild run back in 2012, what's the seminal moment that we all remember? Shea Weber grabbing Henrik Zetter by the scruff of his neck and breaking no. his helmet. Yes, like no. that was that was just this moment, kind of a lose control moment that. It's still to this day, like it's still my Twitter header picture of the of the two uh, ice girls webbering each other. That I remember that, and I remember Sergey Kostitsin and Alexander. Still a little embarrassed about that. That's what I remember. Which part? The um, the whole like meme that came out of that. Because I'm like, Weber took a guy's head and smashed against a wall and got a twenty five hundred dollar. That's <laughs> that's was, problematic. What like, was the meme? Webbering. Webbering. People will like, oh. take photos of themselves like fake smashing people's heads. I mean, somehow I missed that. He, he took someone's head and smashed it against a wall, and nothing. He he paid twenty five hundred dollars. That's 
that only happens in the NHL. It happens nowhere else in the world. I mean, how he did not get suspended for that still blows my mind because he should. It was have either been. it was either a suspension or or like the the little teensy fine. It there was, was no in between. The Predators have gotten actually really lucky with like, from time to time with suspensions because <laughs> yes. Weber Weber you, he's a quiet leader. When he loses matter. his mind, he loses his damn it, mind. It wouldn't have mattered because they lost the next game anyways. But let's circle back around here to game two. So <laughs> on topic. So that was the Neil. That was the whole Neil and Kessler thing, and that that doesn't include Corey Perry being Corey Perry. That doesn't even include Ryan Getzlaff running into Depecorating, which we already touched on. That this team this was the more impressive of the two wins for this reason right here. Anaheim came out and were furious the first 10 minutes. And you had a feeling that, oh, this once Cagliano scored in the breakaway, which great play by Cagliano. He blocks a shot, turns it into a breakaway, blows past Barrett Jackman because Pravel just isn't that fast, and that's okay. <laughs> um, one nothing lead for Anaheim. And, and Jackman's ex- not good at propelling himself forward. There you go. Well well done. Well, I'm saving that for two days. Well, well done right Thank there. You. <laughs> Thank so you. So at that point, you know, then Colin Wilson takes a penalty, or not Colin, Ryan, Will- Ryan Ellis takes a charging penalty, and I'm thinking this is this is where it's going to come unglued. The Ducks are going to have a 2 nothing lead. It's going to be 3-1 with 10 minutes to go, and I'm just going to turn it off and, and go ahead and worry about the recap. That didn't happen. Uh, Colin Wilson has engaged playoff mode, folks, and uh, – yeah, that was pretty awesome. Matias Eckholm being the second forward on the rush and uh, has a slick little backhand. Then you have a few minutes later, Craig Smith scores. Uh, great assist to, to Philip Forsberg on that. Weber puts on a power play goal when uh, they just keep feeding him the puck. It looked like a classic Predators power play, which is, you know, both good and bad. Yeah, mixed feelings about that statement. Yeah, and uh, it ends up being a 3-2 to two win. So where do you guys want to start as far as uh, game two? Colin uh, Wilson was the best possession forward in that game, which is crazy, he, he was plus four. I he's he's not. It's not uncommon for him to be a good possession forward, though. But the best one in the game was, which is what's crazy, and and with with the players that we have I, and the I, way that he played with 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 Wilson, I, I think there's a fan narrative about playoff mode Colin Wilson. I don't think that exists. Uh, I, I think people just pay attention to him in a very different way in the playoffs. Um. I think you you've got you know a tournament is a bit different when since Herman set up, but he has been doing stuff like what he did to set up that Forsberg goal. Most of the season, it's just typically doesn't come. It doesn't really turn out and do it turn into a goal. Like he'll he'll do really clever clever chips and spins and all sorts of fancy stuff and doesn't result in anything. It, when it starts resulting in, in things, people are like wow, Cole wasn't such a good player. But if it's not. He he's he's either things either really seem to go in his favor or they seem to not, and I don't know if it's just bad luck or his play style being such an oddball um, in the world of hockey. Uh, I don't know, but I, I really think that he's he's a perplexing player because he, I think he's been consistently doing the same thing. It just sometimes really comes off in spectacular ways, like it did. I mean, this uh, this this particular two. regular season was rough because of the injury and and then losing. Yeah. and then when that was around when Johansson got here and he kind of lost out on any potential time with with the really skilled players on this team. But he found his he found his way. I mean, he he certainly made made hay in the uh, on that third line late in the season. But uh, I don't know. I I think there's something to the playoff mentality. It, it's also just. It could just be coincidence. I mean, what if he's had two good playoff? Well, if we're counting this as one, two good playoff years, three. Either that, or players are actually shooting the puck more in the playoffs than instead of just waiting for the perfect opening to show up. I mean, Wilson, if he's going to get his passing game on point like that, I mean, Eckholm in the regular season, I bet doesn't take that backhand shot, just because in the playoffs everyone wants to quote simplify their game a little bit, and backhand shots, I love them. 
Like they're they're much more unpredictable. They're much more likely to kind of maybe take a little bit of a twist to them. And the goalie doesn't know where it's going because the release point is much tougher to pick out. Right. So I love that. I love the back goal. Game. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, Smith's goal though, the the shot was so good that you you if you didn't have an HD TV you wouldn't even know it went in the net because how it bounced out of the net. Sure. Oh, it was but it was a classic Craig Smith, and he's he's so good in front of the net when it's in tight. And, you know, people make fun of him roofing the puck over, all those sort of things. But that's because he can he can get a puck that vertical, that tight to the net, which is which is in, which is pretty impressive because he's trying to do something very, very difficult. Uh, so, I mean, that was really a classic Craig Smith style goal. And it was so much fun to watch because it takes such skill to do that. And the, and the setup play for it was spectacular as well. Yeah, Forsberg and, Forsberg and Ribeiro, they, they haven't had a great playoff so far together. Uh, just because of, they're playing against really tough competition with Ryan Getzlaff, who's still a very good two-way center. There's no, he's Ryan Getzlaff. All right, that that kind of he's in his own category there. Giant mutant childlike center with the hair of a baby and a mind of a child. <laughs> um, Weber's power play goal. We already touched a little bit on that. Uh, the power play hasn't been particularly imaginative. Like there's not been a lot of motion with it. But um, I think as they are worried about this Ducks penalty kill possibly getting an odd man rush going against them because they nearly, um, Kessler nearly had a breakaway the other night, and I think they're a little bit gun-shy. What say you on that? They defaulted back to their standard classic power play formation, which is is to uh, leave Weber all by himself and just cycle the puck until he gets it on net. Because the second he gets it on net, it goes in. Because it it, it is traveling at such velocity that it is able to, to vibrate flash style and pass through solid matter and just sits in the back of the net. And so it spends time and space because it, it, it just bends yeah. around. Also, I'm really embarrassed by the by all these weeks in a row where I keep doing DC references and it's yeah. really weird because I'm not a DC fan. Yeah, this fan. is a Marvel house here, man. That's that's an accurate statement. Yeah. There's there's a, a Hawkeye uh, omnibus sitting on my table right now. The new run that's supposed to be really good. I haven't started reading it yet. Hmm. New run's supposed to be fantastic. Currently, yeah. Um, the, I'm going to talk about the power play because I don't know comics like you guys do. Fine. Uh, uh, I, I'm I'm okay with the reverting back to the old power play. Uh, I really enjoy Yossi at the top, Weber on the right circle, switching from his normal left, and then Forsberg coming off that wall. I think that works so well. It gives Yossi options. It gives a lot of angles for the keeper to think about. Keeper. There we go again. Goalkeeper. It's fine. It's a for valid the term. To think it works. About. All of all of Europe calls it keeper. It's fine to to think about to think or it gives a lot of angles for the goalie to think about and uh, and while I don't necessarily agree with just one two three four shots in a row for Weber on the, on that side, um, it's funny. It to watch. still worked and it's so, fun it to is, watch. It is fun to watch because he he uh, roughed up Cam Fowler. I know at one point and there was a bit of a worry with how Cam Fowler was going to come back or not. I know he he had a spell of a right around. Uh, Right in the second half of the uh, second period, where he missed a, where he missed a shift, but I was really worried that they did he seriously just hurt Cam Fowler because that would have been a humongous big loss for uh, for Anaheim at that point. I wish they would try more of um, kind of what the Blues do with the uh, sort of high low with with Johansson behind the net, Neil in the slot, and getting a pass either from Yossi or Weber from the top down to Johansson back into the slot. I think that works. Uh, they didn't really try that. They just kind of did the same old like like we just mentioned with the uh, with Yossi at the top of the the blue line. Yeah, it, it, it just that's what Weber does. I mean, he's a power play monster. I mean, that that's really going to be the thing that that is going to give Weber longevity through his career. 
is that at some point you're gonna be able to just coast him out of power play and just be like, Shay, just stand there and shoot pucks as hard as you can, and he'll do it, and he'll score a pile okay. of goals. I will do that. I, I, I don't know how quickly you can pull this up, Dan, but how many of, of Weber's goals in the regular season were on the power play? It's got to I be mean, more than half, I would imagine, well more than half. Uh, I think he had what uh, about fifteen on the power play this year. I know it was. I'll have this is a raw number here. I can I can pull that up. But I, I mean, I I just that, I mean that's the thing. He's so dangerous. And how do you cover him? That's he's the actually, that's the problem. I like the fact that he's gotten closer to the net as the years went on. He's actually <laughs> dropping closer into the faceoff circle, which a makes a shot even. It's that's the Stamkos Ovechkin circle. Sure. And uh, he doesn't have as quick of a release with it, but he's still Shea Weber. Right. Uh, yeah. That's it. All it gives him. Um, the accuracy because he needs extra he needs more accuracy and he's also he's, less likely to injure a fellow player uh, that, yeah <laughs> i mean but that's that's what i was talking about where how do you defend against Shea weber when he went on the power play because anyone who's choosing to make that defensive play is putting their health in the line which is a serious concern especially in a playoff run um i think that for me that what stood out about not just the game two but also game one is the way the defense in the third period really buckled down uh, in both games with a 3-2, well, 3-1 and then 3-2 lead. Um, I mean, how how difficult or how easy would it have been to to not let that happen? I mean, they, they really shut them down. They shut them down in the neutral ice. They did not, they did not let them get easy, easy zone entry. And uh, the, the Ducks, other than just a fluke off-the-skate goal, don't even really have a chance in that game because they didn't get many, very many scoring chances late at all. I think mm-hmm. maybe I can think of one that that Rene saved uh, to his left, I believe. But it just the defense to me really stood out in the third period in both games. So the goals that have beaten Rene in this series so far: um, one was a five on three, one was Cogliano on a breakaway. Uh, Ryan Kessler had the one shot that he Rene was a bit screened, and the weird Nate Thompson goal that was off Yossi's leg. By the way, Weber has uh, 14 power play goals of his uh, 20. So, yes, wow. well more than half. I mean, yeah. people don't talk about that stat enough. One, it's monumentally impressive, but it also tells you how different he plays in the power play versus at even strength. You don't notice about Nate Thompson? He had 15 minutes on the ice and he had eight hits. There's a guy that had one goal out there. <laughs> he, was, he had one assignment go hit people. As many as many of them and as often as you can. What is Salamaki on that Fortunately, chart? Fortunately, hits are drastically overrated. Because Salamaki, <laughs> Salamaki was collecting skulls out there in the first Third, third first amongst game. rookies in hits. Yeah, Salamaki's he's got a very distinct job out there as well. Um, he's he's a book without the goal scoring. Let's um let's also look at this right here. Is that talk about penalties? Because I know that the Ducks fans are irate about the amount of penalties that have been called on the Anaheim Ducks compared to Nashville. Yet somehow. It gets lost in the shuffle that the Anaheim Ducks were the most penalized team in the entire NHL again, and the Predators were not were one of the actually the twelve fewest teams. Yeah, uh, it's penalized. it's um it's it's actually an uncommonly known fact that uh, in NHL games yeah. in, in across the course of a series, mm-hmm. um, teams are not going to have balanced fifty fifty penalties. <gasps> teams teams. What? That uh, take do a lot of illegal things uh-huh. take more penalties oh. than teams that uh, follow the um, the rules. These are way too many facts, you guys. Man. So when when you're in a series, Dan, and you do a lot of illegal things you shouldn't do, right, right, you're going to find yourself penalized quite frequently, which is really what we've seen happen. And and mm-hmm. I know this is kind of uncharted territory but, for for hmm. some fans, but. Uh, 
teams have different philosophies and they approach games differently and people have different personalities. They are not, as as the NHL would like you to believe, um, uh, um, robots um, with bad hair. A uh, good question here. Um, sure. So if I'm, if say if my hockey team has three of the highest paid players in the league um, that are all on the same team and they're all known for, for, for taking penalties and they play a lot of minutes, what's going to happen? Uh logic, if you will, would dictate that they will continue to take penalties. And if you use some false logic, I'm going to, I'm going to make some stuff up here real quick. And I'm actually serious at that point. Um, there is, is totally correlation between dollars paid to, to jackasses and penalties taken by jackasses. But why can't I just watch the game with bias and conjecture and subjectivity? I don't like facts. That's what soccer's for, Alex. Oh, okay. Yeah. Fan zone. I wish we if we had fan zone for hockey, someone would probably end up getting murdered. Fan zone retweeted me, and I'm like, they follow me, and they don't. I don't know how they found me again. As far as penalty <laughs> deficiency, which is the amount or the penalty difference, as in uh, the number of penalties taken versus the number of penalties drawn, the Ducks are number one in the league at the at the biggest uh, deficiency at or deficit. That's probably what the D stands for is deficit manual. Uh, <laughs> minus forty eight. The get this though. The other teams on this list, uh, as follows: Blues, Kings, uh, Bruins, Jackets, Jets, Rangers, and that's pretty much the the only playoff teams in here. On the other side of the coin, the Wild. Let's see here: the Wild, Sharks, uh, Blackhawks. How are the Sabers that high? I don't get it. The Predators are at plus sixteen. The Flyers are at plus nineteen. This is penalty differential. Penalty penalty differential. Yes. That's that sounds about right. I mean, a lot of those teams that have. Uh, Low penalty differential. I, I I can picture that, especially yeah, the Kings. The, yeah, the Flyers are a different team than they were a couple years ago. But narrative, damn it. Yeah, I mean the Brushy Bullies. Yeah. No, Claude <laughs> just wants to find a police officer and grab his butt. That's it. That's man. his dream. <laughs> that's I mean, that's all I want. Speaking anyway. of hitting, uh, Victor Arvidsson just got he was <laughs> like thrown. Claude hitting on police. No, 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 no. Victor Arvidsson was like. A rag doll. I mean, he he. Every time he was on camera, he was getting hit legally and illegally, by the way, and just pummeled and in a corner, just getting piled on. There was one shot where it's the goal cam, the goal the the goal came over, and and he was just he was trying to just find the puck, and there were two ducks just wailing on him, and he just kind of skates out of it and is like berserker. Okay, all right, I'm gonna go back to the bench now and refuel and then come back yeah, he, he's mainly just coping with 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 this environment i mean of all the playoff teams he could go against i, I think if <laughs> in some chance the predators find themselves playing an eastern conference team in the playoffs i think arvidson will come alive because finally he won't be playing against a team of monsters because i mean arvidson <laughs> against like the kings. The, the kings or the ducks or or the blues even the sharks <laughs> it's like all these massive bodies just being like we're going to jump on top of you and never let you leave ever. Do you think that we're going to see at some point uh Sissons or Watson possibly in for Arvidsson? Just because out of all, I mean, he's an effective possession player, but I know Watson can hold on to the puck as well if he's asked to do so. I know we know that Sissons can do this as well. To be that kind of uh, third guy on the third line with uh with Wilson and Fisher, a line that's going to be deployed to deployed to play against the Raquel and uh, Corey Perry line. Do you think that's a smart move? I think I'd rather Arvidsson be that sort of four checker, the 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 first first on last off kind of guy. Um, I don't see Sissons in that role, but I don't know. Give it give it a shot. I mean, right now I wouldn't change much, but I, I would say Sissons would. I I just would rather see Sissons on the fourth line. I think that's really more what it, what I would rather. 
Yeah, I, I think Watson uh, too. Yeah, I mean, Arvidsson has been a bit unlucky to have not scored a goal in this series. Uh, he had a couple opportunities, including a wide open net. I think he was might have been in game two. Yeah, he was, he was gripping the stick a little too tight, and the right. bounced over. Yeah, just just rolled him a little bit. But he's he's been playing well. Is the thing about it, he may be getting hammered, but he's doing what he's done for most of the year. He just has enough space to uh, to get his kind of. Every time he gets into the zone, he's going to take a shot at the net. Because now he's like, every time he gets in the zone, he's getting pummeled by a duck. He also had a breakaway, didn't he? In game one, I believe he had a breakaway. That, a breakaway that he that. missed the puck or perhaps it got poked away. How do you guys feel about doing some uh, Twitter questions before we hit the break? Feel good about it. Uh, Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Uh, Let's see. Number one question, because I have to go with this guy number one here, because uh, we talked about radio a bit before amongst ourselves before we uh, came on the air tonight. Kevin Harris writes in, does the semi-informed hot takes of Nashville sports radio figures help or hurt the Preds fan base growth? And um, I'll uh, I'll lead off with this one, man. Okay. Is that I don't mind the casual sports radio folks talking about it as long as, you know, you can always bring in someone to interview. Um, I know 1025 today brought in uh, Robbie Stanley. Robbie Stanley is a great person to talk with on this because Robbie Stanley can talk to everybody in the room. I have a problem personally, and I've had this problem both in, in this role and in um, other roles, that I have trouble connecting with just kind of casual fans. Like, I, I have uh, I had a lot of trouble when I was doing a uh, marketing for a, a sporting goods company around here because I was uh, I was trying to cater more to art students. You know, oh, that's a really cool-looking picture, Dan. Or, oh, wow, you really understand. I didn't. I couldn't cater to everybody. So I'm always... Um, I always have to take a step back and like, wow, Stanley at least knows how to address everybody in the room there. So that's that's doing it the right way, bringing in someone to interview that at least knows what they're talking about. Um, There's not enough of that. Today, my gripe with with radio coverage today is that the Predators had secured a split by Friday night, early Saturday morning, which means you had all day Saturday. If you're working Sunday, you may have had, had some hours and you had most of today. There was no national radio interview today of any NHL voice. You, this is a town where we've had Kevin Allen on semi-frequently. We've had Pierre Maguire on before. Craig Button loves to come on the air in Nashville. Craig Button just loves to talk, period. I love Craig Button. We had none of that. We had interviews of the same like local guys that we hear every week. This is, this is it for hockey season as far as making it a big business week for hockey and radio. And I feel like today was wasted on that mm-hmm. um i don't have a problem with uh, a lot of the casual sports radio with it because i know that this show will always have its listeners if anything it would actually help us because then we wouldn't have to just do a lot of casual recaps and we can just get more into the deeper stuff that's fine I, I'm, I'm okay with right now being the the gateway drug into um into predators coverage but if someone else wants to be like that more of a bridge of the casual fan and we can kind of have more of an advanced uh, theory class that's fine too um that's kind of where I stand with it. I'm, I'm in no hockey coverage is bad coverage as far as furthering the message, but there's a lot of people around here as far as radio goes that are, that are still the old guard that I've actually seen this at multiple stations where they just bring in the Tennessean and read it on air pretty much where there's a lot of people that still do that. And they're afraid to step out of their box. Like there are multiple shows today where uh, they had to be dragged kicking and screaming into predators coverage. And for a team that's been here for over 15 years, that's, Unacceptable. I'm going to make a strange analogy. Let's hear it. Jack Black came out with a movie years ago, a version of Gulliver's Travels. Okay. It's a terrible movie. 
Jack Black is a comedian, but it was a bad movie. And a lot of English, my fellow English teachers, I used to be an English teacher, um, were, were very much against this movie and they hated it. They thought it was stupid. But what, it, what did it do? It made a lot of teenagers actually learn about Gulliver's Travels and Jonathan Swift and satire and who it was, even though it was a terrible movie and it was kind of stupid. I don't. I think that's a fair comparison. I I don't think that Nashville is still ready for a lot of predators talk. I just don't. It, it's just it's too new. Any any little bit to get them involved, it, to get them interested, is fine to me. Uh, yes, this was a wasted opportunity. I agree with you. But I think in in a lot of ways, Robbie Stanley is kind of like Jack Black in Gulliver's Travels. Yeah, it, to to a lot of people who are very focused on the predators, I don't think that um, th- that's that's adequate enough. But. I think it's. I think for what it does, it's okay. I think Robbie still, Robbie himself was more than enough. I mean, yeah, right. But you're saying that only having Robbie is not enough. I'm, I'm agreeing with you there. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. You know what counters the what what works also in addition to the some, the person who can talk to the everyday fan as well. Someone who can talk to the to the to the common fan, the the mm-hmm. casual hockey fan, yeah. and treat them with utter contempt. That works as well. I've noticed this in radio and sports media. If you treat the audience badly, they seem to respond positively anyways. <laughs> I like this guy. I'm He's just, funny, man. Yeah, I'm just throwing it out there. Not that I know anyone who can who can treat fans with contempt. Oh. I can do that. <laughs> oh, well, there's there's actually been a few hosts here that, that actually, actually, there's still one that, there's kind of like the, there is one that went on to become a uh, national radio guy, and now there's one that's being called as the dollar store version of the first guy mm-hmm. by Weatherman here. Oh, the, the, the second guy that I know you're referring to. Mm-hmm. Is um, uh, a garbage human being with bad opinions that are uninformed about life in general? I think you're talking about the first guy. I'm oh, first, no, I'm talking about the second guy. The first guy was Clay Travis. I know. Wow. And, and, and that guy is a jerk, but whatever. I He's got a character and he does his thing. That's fine. He's a nice guy in person. The second guy, characters. if you're talking about the guy I think you are, is, yeah, okay. like I said, an uninfo- <laughs> is uninformed Period. I mean, if you're gonna be a, if you're gonna be like kind of the hostile jerk, counter contrarian about everything, be informed and be smart about it. If you're gonna be that guy and you're gonna be uninformed and idiotic, that's just sad. Oh, uh, that's probably my biggest problem I have with uh, with he's not in the Air Nashville anymore. Tom Abraham is that he would start in every segment of his when he was really struggling uh, towards the end. It was always the same. He would start off with this outrageously hot take and then back off of it as the segment went on as callers came in and were like no dude you're wrong mm-hmm. and then he hit the reset button it's like a typewriter and then he ding and start back over from the from the uh, far left and then gradually work his way across the page and that was that was his entire show i think my larger point here is that that i think hockey is still just to nashville and to the south in general is still too much of a niche and i don't think they're ready for it i think even on a day like today look if this had been uh if we had come away and we were two two zero in the Stanley Cup Finals. I think you'd see a difference. You'd see a big I think difference. You'd see a difference once you get past the first round. Yeah, I just think that. Um, I, yeah, not, I just don't see Nashville as being ready for it, and uh, and I I think I'd rather them crawl before they walk. Do you think? I mean, there's been enough of an organic swell, I think, from 2011 till now to the point where uh, that was a really good analogy. Uh, I think there's been enough of an organic swell where, I mean, the, the phone lines lit up today whenever they actually started talking about it. But I hear this promo, the station is talking all Preds all day. And then as soon as they come back from commercial break, all right, Jason Stark here from ESPN, going to talk baseball with us. I'm like, right. <laughs> click. And then next station, and then they're talking about the Georgia spring game. Click. And but then doesn't it bother you more when, uh, when someone calls in, well, hey, they're... 
I saw Mike Fisher was plus three, plus minus. That's pretty good, right? No, that's a great question. And then you could say, well, I mean, there's there's a lot. That, that at least shows me the guys at least like reading the, reading the stats. That's that's progress, man. That is progress. Okay. I will take that, man. That okay. will take that every day of the week. That, that I'm seeing the foundation being poured on what's going to be a beautiful, beautiful house, and that house is just going to be hockey knowledge. We, we do have a great one. concrete management uh, program in Middle Tennessee. Absolutely. Level. Yeah. There's actually it's a really good program. I know. I was not being facetious. I actually had a roommate that was really considered. Yeah, no, no. The, the joke was about the concrete foundation, not about the program. It's a great program, MTSU. Prince of the Cap writes in, what is Lavi doing well from a coaching standpoint, uh, from a playoff coaching standpoint? He's doing a good job uh, as far as managing the roster and not making too many uh, he's, I, I, a lot of things. He's not doing anything wrong. Let's put it that way. In comparison, because the big thing that really hurt Nashville in the playoffs previously was that Trotz really struggled to match lines effectively on the road. From what we've seen in games one and two, Laviolette has not had that issue. If it's a matter of personnel matchup where it just happens that the Predators match up really well the Ducks, whatever, I don't know. But it has not shown itself to be a weakness on the road, which means when they come home, you hope to see some similar performances. I also noticed that it was at least the fifth or sixth shift before we even saw Ribeiro Forsberg Smith in game two. It was it was the first line and the third and fourth lines pretty solidly over the over the first five minutes. I think they didn't. I, I don't know exactly, but it was at least four minutes into the game before that line even got into the game, uh, which is not kind of goes against what you would think because you've got Forsberg, Smith, and Ribeiro on that line. But I also like his his decision to when he switched Yarncroft and Wilson when he put Wilson on that top line was a really well-timed decision. I think he's he's planned that and he knows, okay, what kind of my what kind of game am I getting out of Colin Wilson today? Looks like I'm getting a good one. Let's put him on that top line. And I think he's done that well. He's at least given Yarncroke and uh, Wilson both some different looks. I think that changes by period though. Yeah. Uh, when he has last change, Wilson's playing on the top line a bit more whereas uh, Yarncroke's playing the more defensive role. But uh, you are right. Uh, Ribeiro, Smith, and Forsberg did not see the ice up until about the two-and-a-half-minute mark, which is doesn't sound like a lot, but everyone's doing short shifts to start a game. Yeah. You've got uh, everyone has taken at least one shift before those guys come on the ice. It, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting because I don't hear a lot of talk about coaches and strategy and tactics. Because, you know, obviously that you have like, oh, here's the keys of the game, and that gives you an idea of maybe the coach's strategy. Well, that's, that's Stu's whatever he's up to. It's not strategy. Um, that came a far more biting than I yeah, intended. Yeah, man, so. I was, woo! Uh, I'll own it, though. I'll stick by that. Um, <laughs> but, no, I mean, that talks to a really interesting, like a shift in strategy from game one to game two to recognize the Ducks are going to have a different approach in the first. They're going to really come out and do full-on assault. And so he made a lot of little tactical adjustments in the first in that first section, knowing that he wasn't going to put out a line that's liable to give up more chances, uh, and then adjusts the tactics throughout, but sticks to the overall strategy that was in game one and game two. I mean, that is really cool to watch, and and you want I'm really excited to see what he does in game three, because hey, is it going to be the same strategy at home ice? A shift in strategy? How how is he going to tactically adjust? Because he's already shown a great deal of flexibility and confidence in the first two games and that's huge from your coach that's that level of confidence and boldness is what wins series there's a difference between boldness and stubbornness a big difference in that and boldness is what you call when you stick to your guns and it's you know it works uh stubbornness is just you know the calgary flames there you go 
perfect example. Um, boldness to me is that you have Ryan Getzlaff, who is just a night, who's just a matchup nightmare in a lot of ways, and they, instead of just having you know what, just roll out Mike Fisher next to him. No, they're carving it up between Gostad, Fisher, and Ribeiro, who all together probably would not win an, a one-on-one matchup the entire night against him. But in but as uh, as three different looks. He's at least seeing who's performing against them better, and he flexes who's who's playing where, and that isolates the uh, Johansson line to play primarily against the Kessler line, which to the first game, they had great success. Second game, it kind of evened out a little bit more. But, um, I mean, that's that's what you want. So do you think that changes much with the uh, with the shift to home, uh, with being able to match whatever it, line you want? It should be better. I mean, for the second and third period, it should be better. I mean, the, the, second, yeah. I mean, the, the first and third period. The second period is where Nashville has, has played its best hockey. So that's exciting. Mm-hmm. That's very exciting. Let's get through this. Get through this. I know we're kind of running a little bit long on this. Uh, Rachel Freeman run, writes in. Uh, she's got two for us. Uh, with the amount of penalties uh, called, can the Preds stay out of the box? So far, so good. Yeah, I, I think they can. It should be easy easy for them to stay out of the box because most of the problems are are, are baiting, uh, being baited by the by the Ducks. Uh, and, and frankly, a lot of the penalties that plagued the Predators for the regular season have been avoided so far. Uh, the the dumb offensive zone penalties from guys like Smith. That's the that's where the Predators really struggle. It's those offensive zone penalties that are necessary, or or they're trying to trying to salvage a play that's been broken up rather than just getting back than getting on the on the back check. Yeah, I mean, especially in game two, you saw them. They were not only were they not getting calls, but they were they were getting calls, drawing penalties as opposed to committing them. Um, I yeah, I, I think they're. So far, so good. Uh, I don't know what the. I don't know that there's really anything they can do um, differently in that regard. You just really hope it doesn't change. <laughs> uh, the Snide writes in. Um, actually, she's got a second one here. Um, go back to Rachel here, real quick. Uh, who do you feel is going to end up being the most valuable player of the series? Uh, my vote, Ryan Johansson, just because if he's working, the rest of the lines fall into place. That's a great question. Yeah, I, Johansson, I think, is a nice, clean answer. Makes a lot of sense. It's hard to complain about his performance. Uh, a couple players, I think, could also earn earn the nod. Uh, I, I think there's uh, argument for, I mean, naturally just for Forsberg. He's going out there and doing everything. Uh, I think Ellis. I was going to say is Ellis, yeah. is another one. Yeah, I think El- I think Brian Ellis would be my pick right now. That's through two games, but I I think he's been the best defenseman. I think that pairing has been has been really incredible, especially considering where we were a couple weeks ago when Ellis was out and Ekholm was just bad. He was uh, bad by his own standards. By his yeah. own standards, bad. And now that that pairing is just just dominating up and down the ice, and, and t- Ellis is a big part of that. With Potato back on back on the in the lineup and letting Jackman play with him, that is that's worked wonders. For can the can we have a moment to bask in that that one? Uh, offensive sequence from Potato where he was distributing. Oh the my cup. goodness! <laughs> he he was like a priest with communion wafers, being like everyone's Catholic now, and just getting the puck to everyone who needed it. That was the like, goal. He that, was saving souls out there. That was the goal. I think that really that really put the series on ice so far. That has really put, swung the series in Nashville's way. It was that sequence with Johansson, put the Johansson line out there with Potato and Jackman, and Potato was just running the show. I didn't know he had that in him, and if he can do that with a small degree of regularity and be fine the rest of the time, he may earn like a permanent spot on this roster. Like he may become an institution. What is his contract? Uh, he like? just he just renewed another uh, two years. He's dirt cheap. Oh wow! Yeah, I it, I I know 
his original kind of scouting report was that he's he's a puck moving offensive style player. But we hear that from every defense. But you hear that a lot. I mean, that's kind of well, that's <laughs> but that's standard these days. Like every defenseman who comes up to the draft now is expected to be a puck mover because that's just the way it is. Uh, but if Nashville's going to pick him up, you expect him to have some higher degree or maybe some like foresight. I don't know. But he he delivered on that promise for. 30 seconds and those 30 seconds were incredible up until that point the Kessler line was getting the better of the Johansson line it stopped right then Mm. Uh, the snide writes in uh, why is the fourth line currently working or why is current fourth line working there we go is strategy dictating this map this makeup and uh, will changes in advance round we're not going to talk about the next round just yet and uh, do you think we'd be getting even better results with a different fourth line makeup um, yeah, that's tricky. Better results, you'd be getting different results. I don't know about better. Uh, but I better, mean, it's hard to say because if, if you look at it, and I think people are going to break it into two ways. You're going to have Gostad Bass, Sissons Watson. That's the yeah. two groupings. You kind of pl- plug them in like four brick-sized Legos, you know, like the four, yeah, whatever, four by twos. Um, yeah, I really want to get that right. Uh, <laughs> and... It, that's such a different setup on both sides. It's just absolutely different. So it's really difficult to say if you'd be getting better results. You'd be getting different results. You'd probably be getting a little bit more offense, a little bit more puck movement, uh, a more energetic fourth line with uh, with having Sissons and, and Watson there. Uh, it, Bass has been working. I mean, we talked about it a little bit earlier. And you called that before the series even started. I don't think I did. Yes, you did. You did said I? I would be. You said, Dan, you're going to look at me like I'm crazy. I'd be okay with Cody Bass playing in this series because I if you if own you would, it, own it. Because if you would rather, because I'll go to tell me these things. Because you, your justification was is that <laughs> the Ducks are going to be the Ducks. You would rather have someone like uh, Cody Bass throwing your being the face puncher as opposed to a Shea Weber or Mike Fisher. I did say that? You're of, right. And the 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 stare down. I mean, as as silly as that was with Corey Perry, that was awesome. That was a great moment. Well, it's only silly if you forget that sports is dramatic entertainment. It's a it's a reality TV show that we buy tickets to. Yeah, uh, I, I just for, um, I agree with everything y'all said. I think I think it would be different with Sissons and Watson. I wouldn't be opposed to it. And but until something breaks really with that fourth line, it hasn't quite broken yet. Um, I don't change. I don't change anything. Yeah, I, I think it comes down to hey, do the Ducks fundamentally change how they're deploying their forwards in such a way that says we need to we need to deploy di- different forwards as well? Because the nice thing about the Sissons Watson options is that they offer such different things than Gostad and Bass as, as pieces. So there's a lot of, of, of interchanging that cha- that creates a different fourth line with unique purposes. That's really, really powerful uh, to have as a tool for the coach because once uh, Boudreaux starts making adjustments, Laviolette can make adjustments in, in, in and exchange. A, that drastically changes Nashville's entire lineup honestly it does and it gives a nice degree of flexibility and nice deg- and it's really gonna if we see those changes some nice tactical awareness by by laviolette whereas the ducks their big change they're gonna make is probably either gibson or anderson and which, the, which can we talk about that for a second and after the break, okay after the break we got to get through these first caleb writes in uh, given shot attempts are basically even for nashville versus anaheim how is nashville getting the result by keeping anaheim outside and that's the answer right yep, there yeah. they're keeping who, who, anaheim who, 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 Alex was talking about the high danger scoring chances. That's the answer. There you go. Ten to two. Ten to two. Ten to two in the first game, 
in terms of high danger and medium danger. And one of those was a breakaway, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Jacob Siebert writes in uh, with Boudreaux's, quote, stupid comments, as in calling his own team kind of stupid after their uh, after the, some of the penalties they were taking, and then doubled down on that today with his media availability. Is that a result of losing control of the room or just a few bad apples? Yeah, they need to go out and get a team ice cream cone. That's what they need. <laughs> do they have like a, one of those ice cream trucks show up at practice? They don't deserve that. They have to go work for it. Ooh. They gotta go to the, they gotta go find a Baskin Robbins. What kind of ice cream does Corey Perry get? Oh man. Um vanilla, I'll be honest. It's probably vanilla. Just vanilla. Okay. I, I see him as kinda like the guy who still has like one of those like have like a, a freezer full of like orange push ups. <laughs> I, I, I think that fits. Yeah. He, fits. he just except, buys them when they're on sale and just keeps stacking up. except, you know, he just goes out and steals other people's ice cream. Mm-hmm. Even though he's got plenty at home. There you go. Yeah, here no, Corey Perry is the kid who wants the uh Teenage Ninja Turtles popsicle ice cream and then realizes it tastes absolutely terrible, mm-hmm. throws it away and demands his mom buy him a second one. Mm. <laughs> there you go. Because I just got a bad one. That's what the problem is. No, and the second one is the orange push pop. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, coming up after the break, we're going to get into some comment questions. Let's look around the rest of the league because someone in the city has to look at hockey outside. These of days, you need a partner. This is the Predcast brought to you by LionZone Internet standards. Marketing Solutions. One that also provides quality support services like hosting, email, e-commerce, CMS, and more. And you need a partner experienced in online branding and marketing, like social media, search engine marketing, rich media, and email marketing. You need a partner that knows how to market your company in today's age of advertising. You need LionZone. Their professional staff and partners have the know-how, creativity, and experience to help you reach your marketing goals. Contact them today for a free consultation at 615-353-0402. That number again is 615-353-0402, or you can reach them on their website at www.lionzone.com. Lionzone, Nashville's leading internet marketing agency since 1999. in all right so uh let's talk about some other series here we haven't heard i mean we've uh we've really spent a lot of time on the predator series and we'll circle back around to it to close up shop but uh let's spend a few minutes across the uh the rest of the nhl as of right now the time we're recording this we're it's the only time we're going to mention it the uh caps are leading the flyers 2-1 i believe is that still the accurate i, I don't know what you're talking about dan it's can't be accurate it's uh dan Dan, yeah. Dan, yeah. let's move on. All right. Well, the the Caps right now are leading the Flyers uh, two games to none with uh, no Sean Couturier. Sean Couturier gets hurt in game one. You and I both sat here and picked the Flyers on this because I bought into Sean Couturier. 
I bought into the fact that Philadelphia is going to be playing with a lot of emotion with the passing of Ed Snyder. I bought into the fact that, uh, frankly, I just don't trust Barry Trotz as a playoff coach. I thought Philadelphia had some matchups that would give him some trouble. But as of right now, without Sean Couturier, how, the, the Flyers are, they need some type of incredible luck to get him out of the series. Yeah, I if you went back, if you go back and listen to that preview show uh, in, in the segment we were talking about the predictions, I specifically called out Couturier's being key and and the reason why I was making the selection. I mean, granted, there's a lot of heart in me picking the Flyers. Yeah. Uh, but Couturier was a huge part of that because he is such an effective two way forward. You can employ him to shut down the key players. You can double shift him because he's got the energy. Uh, and not having him available changes everything for the, for Philadelphia. And it's it's clearly shown um, they just haven't been scoring, uh, which is an issue they ran into because Vorchek just has been struggling to score this year, and, and uh, at least in the first half of the year. So there's a lot of things just not going right. Uh, Steve Mason had that horrific... His Dan Ellis moment. His, that, that may be the worst goal a goaltender has given up in the history of the NHL. I think, I think Dan Ellis was worse. I, uh, maybe not. No, this you're was, right. This was a he had a hundred. This was a hundred foot flat in the ice goal. They went five hole. Yeah, that's pretty bad. He was even was looking bad. at it. At least the 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 Ellis one bounced like it was yeah, a bounce. This was, there was no bounce because yeah, bounces yeah. you'd be like, oh, it took a silly. You know, what are you gonna do? No, this was flat in the ice, a hundred feet, and Mason just whiffed. Right. <sighs> I, um. Right now, I I don't even know that that but. I don't know if that matters. Ovechkin is a god right now, and <laughs> Holtby is is playing just as just as just as I thought he would. And uh, I just don't see the Capitals have a weakness. I mean, they they are just dangerous at every level. Um, I'm sorry about the Flyers, but it's not over yet. I mean, it's, it's just two zero. Yeah, no, they could. The game's not over yet. They could come back. Sure, there's um, a lot. There's a lot of hockey to be played, as they say. Right. Um. Yeah, I, um, going staying out east, uh, you got the Rangers and the Penguins tied at one. Mark Andre Fleury has yet to play in this series as so far. They're relying on Jeff Zatkoff. Zatkoff, kind of weird. Uh, where Lundqvist gets hurt in the game in game one. Uh, Magnus Hellberg has been called up to the Rangers. I'm not sure if he's still there or not. I know that uh, uh, they're running with uh, Antti Ranta for the rest of the first game, and then Henrik comes back. They win game two. Is there a scenario where the Rangers win this series that does not involve Henrik Lundqvist uh, turning water into wine? Well, one, not having Fleury is... I'm not sure if that's good or bad because Fleury has been a pretty poor postseason goaltender. I mean, I think that has a little bit to do with how bad the depth of, of the Penguins has been for several years. But he doesn't make that case easier himself. No, he doesn't, he doesn't make it easier. And then on top of that, I mean, I don't know if you watched any, you were able to watch any of the... the uh, the last Penguins game, Penguins and Rangers game, but Malkin, they decided to go ahead and play him. He's been out, he's been injured. They decide Malkin's going to play. He was terrible. Absolutely terrible. He is not ready to come back. Mm -hmm. And playing him was a liability um, and a big reason why that game turned south. I don't think that they could do it without Lundqvist, but man, that second game, the Rangers were just pummeling the Penguins. They outhit him 57 to 25 in that game. That's what Columbus did to him. Did the the Pittsburgh when the Columbus pushed him to seven games. They just beat the crap out of the Penguins. That's the, the only way where, to beat them. Yeah. Yeah, and especially when they're already injured and, and and one of those effective anti-hitting tools is not available in in Malkin. And I don't consider him available even though he played. That's not of getting Malkin. 
that's like that's like calling the current lineup of Leonard Skinner Leonard Skinner. That's, <laughs> that's not Skinner, man. I also enjoyed Patrick Hornfist's uh, hat trick. That you, was fun. You do you, Patrick. You do you. Uh, Tampa Bay is leading the series over Detroit two games to one. Um, this one's getting nasty. Getting nasty. <laughs> I like. I mean, we were talking earlier about you could. We need to own that. Hockey fans need to own their own villains. Brian Boyle is Brian Boyle. He's that team's villain. I love Brian Boyle. He just looks like a big old goober that that's going as a conquistador for Halloween every day of the year, and him like and just an applicator though is like next level bad guy this this series. Uh, so a couple years ago, my uh, mom and her husband moved down to uh, Florida, and they started watching the Lightning games because they love hockey. So they became lightning fans which is fine that's their prerogative we have talks uh but my mom called me i think the next day of the day day after to talk about that the the game with with ablocator where he attacked um i can't who was a uh, player blunt blunton blunton it was it's not like a big wrecking yeah, like, big like, name I, i'm a lightning uh, fan i don't even know this guy's name you know and it because she, she was so distraught over the fact that ablocator did that and so little came out of it as far as penalization and anything following up. I mean, we had an instance where a player was pinned to the ice, had his, his gloves, everything on, and had a player on top of him just pounding on him. Guy comes up covered in blood, needs seven or nine stitches, seven or nine stitches, not 79, seven or nine stitches, and says, oh, it's just part of the game. Mm-hmm. No, no, you had a guy going make you defensive. Yeah. <laughs> who was just pounding your face with his bare fist while you were defenseless. That's not hockey. That's assault. Right. And battery. That's criminal. And no one cares because it's hockey. And I think he got, what, a game misconduct or something? Yeah, he played the next game. That's, that, that is, that and is And Boyle horrible. wanted to fight him, but Abdicator wouldn't take off his gloves because his fists were taped because of the, because uh, of, he injured his hand punching the lightning player it's that is i find that to be horrifying and unacceptable for hockey and and people were posting this and even media were like this is the definition of playoff hockey no that sort of animal brutality is not what hockey should be and how you grow a sport this is why your sport has some serious concerns about player safety and kids playing the sport going forward like if i can go back and do it all over again i don't know if i'd be a baseball writer because i'm worried about the future of hockey but, but, but <laughs> that that moment has defined the rest of the series to me and i can't get past that i really hope the lightning finish off the wings and we can move on because after what Alligator did i don't think the wings deserve and i to think move forward. i think that's what happens i think the red wings are toast i think that was a it was a it was a a desperate attempt to try to be back in the game and they won the game but but I think they're toast. I think the Tampa Bay's sort of next man up philosophy uh, with Stamkos out, and I think their defense is is redl- is more than capable of shutting down the Red Wings, um, even without Strawman. Yeah, no, I, I do. Yeah, I, I think they're. I think because because the Red Wings are so young and trying to to rely on so much young scoring. Um, Busted Pavel Datsuk, and yeah, I mean it, it's a Datsuk's already got a foot out the door. Yeah. Right. I'm, I'm a little bit, um, I'm not surprised we're seeing a little bit of nastiness from Detroit because they know this is their last ride with this guy. So, well, you know, for for players as skilled as Zetterberg and Datsuk, um, you know, this is not the way you send those guys off because that was never their game. That was never Detroit's game for years. Uh, and you had some, some guys in the team who were known for taking some headshots. Um but it wasn't the, the the brutality was not their, the second, their style. The second wave of the Red Wings uh, run 
where it was guys like Datsuk and Zetterberg was the mm-hmm. exact opposite of what we saw. Now, the first yeah. wave, yes, you saw them. I mean, there, you had your Russian five, but you still had guys like Darren McCarty that were just sandpaper on ice. Mm-hmm. Though I, I do think that the Red Wings are put in a difficult position with the kind of ongoing infirmed rumors of Datsuk leaving. That's not really an announcement you make at the start of a playoff series. No, it, it reminded me a lot of when uh, Mario Goetze said he was leaving Borussia Dortmund uh, to go to Bayern Munich right before they played Bayern Munich in the Champions League final. Yeah, yeah it's, it's on it, par with that. I mean, it's it, the point where, yeah, I'm leaving after this year. I, I don't know, yeah, it's a time. great way to just kill the spirit of your team. And, and, the, and frankly, Detroit responded in the worst way possible in that, for, in that first game. Yeah. I mean, you, you see a, a lot of... Uh, Is it the first game? Yeah, the first game of with the with the yeah. with the blood sport. Mm-hmm. You see a lot of uh, there's a lot of better courtesy in sports. The the Los Angeles Rams uh, actually held off announcing a trade because it was Kobe Bryant's last night in the league, so they held off announcing it that way so Kobe would have the spotlight that uh, that day. There's kind of a brotherhood when it comes to the who gets the attention as far as media attention when it comes to sports like that. I'm sorry, and Kobe who he plays basketball. Um, oh. This is awkward. Um, you know what? Uh, Islanders right now are up two to one <laughs> over the Panthers. Uh, they steal. Uh, first off, three games in four nights in the playoffs is unacceptable. I I'm just baffled by that. Can Can you explain? I mean, okay, so the Barclays Center was overbooked, and hockey just gets screwed. This is th- that's horse manure. Well, that's bad. You see, when you go to an arena that's not designed for hockey, that only tacitly wants hockey in the first place. The fans don't even really want to go to that building. They'd rather... I mean, the, the players don't want to go to that building. No, they don't. They don't want to go to that borough. I mean, I'm sure they like the building itself, but yeah. they don't want to go to that borough yeah, of the but, city. I, but frankly, this happens every... There's always some combination of games that happen uh, too close together. Uh, someone gets screwed. It just happens that it was the Islanders and Panthers. I, I, I was... If I was a, a... Especially if I was a Panthers fan, I, I would be just furious about that with, with Roberto Luongo and Ned and... And Yager is, he's, yes, he's in incredible shape, but look, I mean, it, uh, when you're old, it takes a little bit longer to recover. This is a Panthers team that plays a lot of veterans of, um, for as much love as we give the kids like Ekblad and, uh, and Bukestad and Barkov. Mm-hmm. I mean, they still have their UC Jokinen. UC Jokinen, They have right. their, they have their, um, their Sean Thornton, man, that Sean Thornton crying was so funny. Um, even though Sean Thornton's kind of on that level of the, uh, He's not quite on the Cody Basque uh, level of ineffectiveness, but <laughs> a scale of Cody Basque to Tanner Glass. Oof. So uh, there's not that one's actually. I, I expect to be a lot more interested in that series. I'm not as interested in the uh, in the Panthers Islanders as I thought it would be. I guess because there's so much happening in the other series. Like uh, personally, I'm taking a lot of joy in watching Dallas execute Minnesota. <laughs> I honestly, I've not watched a minute of that series. You're not, okay, here's 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 what's going on. Dallas right now has Minnesota like. They're, Minnesota's facing the camera. Uh, Dallas is reading a statement, and they're going to execute the Wild. That's essentially what's happening right now. The, the, the Dallas Stars are, are are just throwing pucks at the net, and Minnesota finally scored in, in the last game. I had serious doubts whether or not Minnesota would actually score a goal before they went back to, to uh, St. Paul. That weird uh, – did you see the goal that the, uh, the was credited to Antoine Roussel? Of course Roussel is <laughs> it's the guy getting credited to this. I've it, never seen a goal scored like that where it, it literally crossed the red line as the net. It, it crossed the red line and the net was not over it. 
essentially, yeah. because the net was being dislodged and it be- got it became dislodged just after it crossed the red line. Like, I've never Duke seen a goal was in like the that. process of dislodging his own net, which is a penalty, right? That's cla- right. Classic, um, classic hashik. Yeah, uh, except um, it's on his back and it just kind of trickles down his pads. Like I've I've never seen that before. It was crazy. And the fact that it got there because. Uh, uh, Roussel did like a soccer style like pop up kick with uh, the inside of his uh, with the arch of his foot. It pops up over the net, and honestly, that's you couldn't do that again. But it's really it is really fun. It's hilarious. Watching. The fact that it happened in Minnesota makes it even better. It, it, it's really fun watching the the dismantling of what is what is a good defensive structure, and the stars are just taking it to them. I honestly thought Minnesota was going to give them more trouble because Minnesota's the one team that's committed to staying back, to playing their system, to doing it their way and Dallas is just like okay if you're just going to let us into the zone and not let us play with stretch passes we're just going to cycle you to death okay let's do that it's and like a mutual agreement yeah, I, no you if you if you have a con if you take a bunch of concrete blocks and build a wall with them and then take an assault rifle and just start shooting it over and over again you're going to punch a hole through it eventually eventually yes it's going to crumble I mean it's you're going to blow a lot of money on ammunition but eventually you know the Dallas Stars do yeah, have well a lot, it's Texas Jimmy Ben has plenty of guns I yeah. mean I mean, Tyler Sagan, I mean, come on, that guy's probably got an arsenal. Even though he's hurt right now. He's not playing tonight. Sorry, that only goes to dark places. Womp, womp, womp. If, uh, if it makes you feel any better, I think it's, it's, it is, not only is it fun watching the Dallas Stars against them, it's nice, it's also nice that we know the universe is also against the Minnesota Wild. Yeah. The universe fun. doesn't want them to win. No. Um, the series I know that's going to make Link smile real big is the uh, San Jose Sharks right now. Are up two nothing. <laughs> I see that smile. Two nothing against the Kings with both games in Los Angeles going to San Jose. I picked the Sharks to win. I the Sharks winning was even more irrational of a pick than the Flyers because the Flyers. Yeah, you know there was a lot of analysts who like in, in staff who were saying, "Oh, they've got a much better chance than you think," and all that kind of stuff. So I could I could buy into an argument, but the Sharks doing this to the Kings, it's just funny. It is. It's so funny, and I love it. Uh, I don't, the thing that we're there's a lot of narrative of we've seen this movie before with the sharks. Yeah. And there's still, I mean, th- this series isn't over with until the Kings pull their goalie down three but, goals. To, right. <laughs> with, but uh, the, the thing that's a little different this year is that this is a sharks team that has a, um, we have nothing left to lose mentality. They always, bef- they've always been the San Jose sharks. They're almost winners. They're sure. This is, is very much a, you know, we're get like our key guys are getting kind of old, and we've got some good pieces, and and you know we're we're still elite, but we really have nothing left to lose. And I think they're a little bit more relaxed. I think they're a little bit less concerned um, with the rivalry and all all the narratives. I think they're just going out and playing hockey. And and Jonathan Quick is not anywhere near as good as anyone likes to pretend he is. So it's just hilarious to watch him get lit up. He's not had his usual bump, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah he, he usually has a bump in the playoffs. He's a very good tournament goaltender, as you like to say. Just because he, you know, he he gets in your mind. He gets not to your le- not to level of like a Mike Smith or Patrick Wall, but he takes away the entire bottom two thirds of the net and just challenges you to go high. My my opinion on that is that I th- I think um, much like the Blackhawks, I think the Kings run a different game during the playoffs, and I think that. Uh, per, that protects quick in a different way. Therefore, it's I, I don't think I don't know if he's a better tournament goaltender, or that the Kings t- typically are a better tournament Stanley Cup playoff team due to uh, Sutter's approach to the regular season. Quick is okay in the Olympics. 
That's the only thing I have to say. I mean, I think you're, <laughs> I think you're exactly look at right. all the medals he's won. I think you're exactly right on that. But I think that that Quick has shown that, that even away from the King system, he's okay. He's like he's, he's you know he's 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 a fine average goaltender. He's a top ten goaltender. He's a, I mean, if he was paid several million dollars less, I would think he was great. Okay, I think that's that's kind. I of, think he's drastically overpaid for his level of quality. He's like anti Niemi, but paid way more, and gives up far less rebounds. And I like that Martin Jones is uh. Is outdueling the Kings right now. That's fun. Yeah, the, your your backup from last year is beating you. That's always great. There's a reason they acquired him. Yeah, the, the Sharks uh, did a. He got traded to the Bruins, and the Sharks brought him back from the Bruins, which is yes, kind of weird. Lastly, uh, Blues and Chicago. Blues are now up two games to one, and this has probably been the uh, this is the weird series here because you got St. Louis who. I, I don't know. I, let's let's go back to game two on this. Uh, the Blues. Um, Blues win the first one overtime. It was a double shutout going into overtime. Fun game. The Blues weren't even trying to score, and, and they were just trying to hit Chicago. They end up getting game one off a weird bounce off Van Riemsdyk's stick. Uh, first time Ram Deep, uh, Van Riemsdyk has scored in the playoffs in a while that actually meant anything. <laughs> um, game two, there was the, uh, the double goal reviews that uh, St. Louis fans feel like they got hosed on because um, – Apparently, gravity is not taken into account as far as the NHL rules are concerned. Well, why? Why do Blues? I mean, other than being Blues fans, why do they think that that's that was not a legitimate call? What, what, what's the argument? I think. Well, the argument I've heard is that they think that the intent of the rule, the intent of the offsides rule, doesn't apply, and and if you slow it down enough on on a lot of offsides you know what play, it is? I think just listening to how you're talking there, and I'm not saying anything you're saying is wrong. It sounds like you're describing something in baseball. And right. again, we're talking about St. Louis fans. I'm, right. I'm, I'm, going <laughs> to, I'm also going to illustrate this okay. as I often do. All right. This this entire series, make it, when, I, when I view it, I don't see hockey teams. I see two national banks locked in a patent lawsuit. And it's just, it's supposed to be cool, like... Oh, there's all these like high powered lawyers, like from a from like a yeah contextual thing. It's like it should be really interesting from a legal part, but it's not. It's just like endlessly intern shuffling paper around, filing motions, filing motions. And it's just mm. it. This series should be incredible, and it feels like it's wasting my time. This is me personally. I, I can't. A lot of people may be loving it, but it just feels like it's wasting my time. The game three, I really enjoyed. Uh, Blues score late to take up to take a three two lead. And I end up taking the series now two to one. Um, I'm gonna circle back around on this. Actually, you know what? Um, I'm gonna go in. Let's go in. I'll press pause on that real quick. We have one question in the comment section. I want to get to. Then I'm gonna get straight into five tough questions because I one of them is circles back around to the Blues. So uh, let me click on a couple of magic buttons here. Okay, question for the podcast uh, <laughs> writes in uh, Rue 182. Does anything in particular stand out as a concern for you with this team, talking about the Predators? For me personally, it's face-off winning percentages. Only Cody Bass is over 50% of it. We're not a, that big on the face-offs here, but uh, he does bring up a decent point on this, is that with the team as good as face-offs as the Anaheim Ducks are, with Kessler, Getzlav, even Raquel's pretty good on the dot. Uh, Horkov can take draws, even though we haven't seen Horkov yet. Um, does that, I mean... There are times of the game where faceoffs are incredibly important. It only happens very, like happens, you know, the last five minutes of a really close game. I, I think, uh, yeah, okay, only because I'm answering the question that yeah. was ad- that was addressed. I, I, 
I'm not I'm not particularly worried about faceoffs other than maybe that one case where Paul Gostad lost three in a row with a goal pulled. Was it four, four in a row? row. Um, however, the the blue oh, sorry the Blues the um, the Ducks won sixty one percent and then fifty nine percent of the faceoffs in the two games. So averaging sixty percent of the of the faceoffs in the game. That's a little high. If it was if it was 53, 54, if they had an edge, okay, fine. But that is a little high. I think it needs to be worked on, but I don't think it's a big focus. I mean, it's, it's just a it's a factor, but not a big one. What is your uh, chief concern though with this team right now? I mean, I still think you're. I still want to see you know some protection with Rene. I think that defensive pairings are where we want them to be. I think the forward lines, uh, the fourth line is kind of an interesting scenario where you wonder how long it's going to last with Cody Bass and Paul Gostad up there. And uh, frankly, I'm just worried about Mika Salamaki more than anything else. Uh, His personal health. I, I think what may concern me is uh, the penalty kill. Uh, one, because, I mean, the Ducks are so good. And two, the, the Predators' penalty kill is, I would say, fine. They're fine. It's a fine penalty kill. But when they're playing up against one of the best power plays in the league, it gets problematic. And, and so if things shift and the Predators are the ones taking the penalties... I think this this series could turn on them very quickly. Um, I would say probably the the, the transition game a little bit. Um, I think they've they've missed on some passes here and there that could have led to better chances. Uh, once they get once they get into the zone and are able to cycle the puck and to to battle on the boards, they are just they can they could beat anybody. They're they're just as good at that as anybody in the league. Um, but on occasion, they they think they outthink themselves. They make one too many passes in the neutral zone. And I think that, that that part could change a little bit. Also, it leads to some turnovers. And we you you've seen time and time again this season when uh, the, the the defense on our end have gotten a little too greedy and made one too many passes that get intercepted and lead to uh, lead to a goal. I could see that. There's one more question from the comments section. Uh, B. Farish writes in uh, and I'm gonna put the caveat on here that it's not Philip Forsberg as the answer here. Uh, what player or players have increased their value the most down the stretch? The last 25 games is what he's considering the stretch and early playoffs. Uh, it could be the value to the team, trade value, next contract value. Outside of Forsberg, what player has done the, the best amount of uh, the, the most amount of uh, increase in his own value? This is this is an interesting question because mm-hmm. if you talk about 25 games down the stretch, yeah. I I think. The one thing that made the Predators really successful is that everyone was playing their game, and that if that sounds like a cop out, it's only because I, I think that values were consistent because people were comfortable and settled in, in in the style of the play, and so you were seeing the team you expected to see regularly through the season, but only in the second half and especially towards the end when they really got comfortable. So I, I think during that stretch, you saw players really comfortable, and that's not inducive necessarily to increasing value. It is conducive to gaining points in the standings with regularity. Can I ask a question? Yes, Wh- why are you not counting Forsberg in this? Uh, I guess Forsberg's the obvious answer. Oh, okay. So it's not because he's an RFA versus UFA. Right? No, it's because Dan doesn't want to make it too easy. Actually, no. Oh. Someone, the, the person who wrote the who wrote the question actually uh, suggested that. I the see, person okay. who wrote the question doesn't want to make it too easy well, on us. In that okay. case, if, if RFAs are in, then I, I think it's Yarncroak. That's about, the one that, to I, me. I'm going to go. Yarncroak's a great answer, too. Uh, how about Ryan Ellis? Yeah, that's the only that's one even, I would budge on. Even with Ryan Ellis um, 
even when he was not in the lineup, he showed that, you know what, Matias Ekholm's a fine defenseman yes. by himself most nights, but with me next to him. That magic puzzle piece fits in, and things click, and you see so. that. It's defensive pairings, not defensive singles. There you go. All right, so going back to the, to the Blues and Blackhawks, we're going to lean that into uh, five tough questions, and question number one goes back to the Blues and Blackhawks. The Blues are slowly finding their offense against Chicago. If you remember the first game, they only had two shots on overtime, including the game winner, which wasn't even a shot. But uh, as the series has progressed, and, uh, the St. Louis Blues are actually throwing more pucks towards Chicago's net. So even with the Blues up, two games to one, are you buying the Blues to win this series? I, I, I still am. I picked them to win it. I still think they do. Never. No, I, never. <laughs> no, I mean... <sighs> Yeah, it's it's two to one, but Hawks have already won a game on the road. That's a great start. Um, they could then they could play game four, and it could be a two and two series, and then the Blackhawks are poised to be successful. Blues won a game on the road too. This is true, but well, but you have the uh, the lower seeded team sure, right, winning, right. so they, that gives them right. kind of a bit of an edge, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it sort of comes net, so that that's why that game four is so important because you end up being net neutral, right? Um, and you know, once you've broken the home stand much like the Predators did very effectively, uh, it, it just changes the whole tone of things. Question number two. Uh, so we see with our own series with Nashville versus Anaheim, what would, uh, as far as the, the stuff going on after the whistle, um, penalties, what have you, asking just you as just two individuals who really enjoy the game of hockey, what would you do or what would you advise the NHL doing to help officials in the playoffs Either to make the, you can either say your motivation is to make the game safer, to just get the call right. What would you do? Air rifles in the rafters. Just, just anytime somebody gets too scrappy after the whistle, just pop them. I don't, I don't know that you can. I, I you it would have to be a major change to the game. I think it's too. Players are too used to coming to the defense of their goalie as soon as there's snow sprayed on him, or as soon as there's a an after the whistle touch. They're just too used to it. I don't. I think you'd have to. You'd have to have a whole generation of players come and go before. Yeah, I mean, the, the best way I because I, I I totally agree with Alex. Um, it's like if you have a cat that's misbehaving, people think, oh, well, I'll spray with a bottle of water. Well, cats don't process that as being disciplined for something. They don't make an association for what they did was wrong with the bottle of water. They just think, why did this person who feeds me spray me with something? So they don't make the connection between the action and the action of discipline. They're discrete things. And I think that's kind of the same thing with hockey players. Is they don't really understand, like, why would you penalize me for this? It's something that's always been done. Like, it's just the way it is. Why would, why would I get in trouble? So it's, it, there's a deep cultural issue that has to be overcome. My, my suggestion would be to um, add a video official. That if you see something egregious going on, on, the, on, going on um, after their play, like, say, Corey Perry taking the butt end of a stick in the Pecorino's groin... Oh, like, and call penalties after the fact. It, yeah. Oh, as in like if, if they during the scrum, uh, hey, I just or just have the official wear an earpiece and say, hey, uh, video official says that uh, Pecorino just uh, speared this dude in the junk. Okay. So here, here's my here's I think the big problem. Not that I don't think that's not a reasonable approach. Don't don't hear I'm that. All I'm, saying for, that. I'm all for less spearing but, in the junk, man. <laughs> but we have a league where if you say were to elbow player in the head intentionally, you would probably it, it falls under the game misconduct or or, or, yeah. or match penalty, and you're going to be thrown out and it's going to be reviewed. But if two players agree to throw elbows in each other's faces, 
it's five minutes in a, in a box. Right. And then you're fine. And there's no supplemental discipline. So before anyone talks about going out and really getting stringent about after whistle stuff, we have to recognize that we're talking about a league where as long as two players agree that it's okay to pound each other bloody, it's perfectly fine. And it's perfectly acceptable and it's different than if they do it not having agreed to do so. Um, yeah, and it's a league where head trauma is only a problem sometimes and they won't treat it with any degree of severity. So I, it, I can't expect them to institute other forms of penalization post video penalization or whatever you whatever it would be called if they don't take the other big problem seriously in which you know players inflicting severe head trauma on one another and giving them mi- fairly minor penalties relative to the damage being done to the individuals so it's a, it's a cultural change a massive cultural change yeah in in a much more concise manner <laughs> uh question number three uh ryan ellis played the game of his life in game one uh, we're going to see Ryan Ellis on video review on video promo packages forever and ever now. <laughs> uh, in Predators history, what individual performance, and this is not, you have to exclude goaltenders on this because we can all think of that one time Pecorine, Thomas Vukuner, Dan Ellis stood on his head. But in Predators history, what individual performance stands out as the best ever or your favorite um, in the history of the Predators D- playoffs? Defensive play or anything? Anything. Anything oh. that's not a goaltender. Well... Remembering things, my weakness. <laughs> um, okay, well, I, this is only because of recency. I, I, I do. I really was a Forsberg's hat trick last year was really fun. Now it wasn't really a hat trick in the truest sense, empty netter. because it was an empty netter. Um, that was pretty. That was pretty neat. Um, and now I'm, I'm blanking. There was a. I would say my. When Mike Fisher's first in that first year in that first Duck series was pretty was pretty intense uh, when he scored. Um, now I'm blanking. I think that was in game one because we they won. He game scored in one. game one. He yeah. just threw a puck at Dan Ellis's head and he didn't know what to do with it. <laughs> they chased Dan Ellis in game one, um, and then later on that series he fought. I remember him fighting Getzlav, and uh, that was fun. Can we swing? I don't know. I, I need a moment on that one because yeah, I would like to come up with a good answer. But I, I, well, I'll go ahead and I'll, I'll give you mine. I'll give you guys some time. Okay. Uh, uh, Shea Weber during, against the Ducks uh, several years ago when uh, he just kind of took over the late part of the game, um, including the uh, this the Shea Weber against the Shea Weber and the Ducks, uh, the first time they played the Ducks, uh, where he was just going out and just picking out an Anaheim Duck and murdering him on the first shift of the game, mm-hmm. including Timo Solani in the very first uh, in the, <laughs> the very first game. Uh, every game the Predators won, that's how he started every single game. Is he was just murdering somebody in the corner. So and, I. Oh, hi. No, that was it. Just, okay. you know, just yeah. Weber becoming the insane lumberjack so person. I, I, yeah, like. I got a cast back, so I had to I had to remember 2011 Stanley mm-hmm. Cup playoffs. Yeah, where Joel Ward puts up 13 points in 12 games. That's oh, a good pick. Is there yeah. that? I mean, as yeah. far as as if we divide classic and modern Predators history, as far as classic Predators history goes, yeah. which is the Barry Trotz his era, com- it was his that was out. peak natural Predators. Yeah, where a guy like Joel Ward, who came up through the Canadian college hockey system. No one comes with the Canadian college hockey system into the NHL uh, and finds success and then puts up 13 points in 12 games. Granted, granted, he was shooting like 25%, and I but think, it's all, it was awesome to watch. So much fun. I want to say he he only had maybe 10 goals that year, and then he and he Let's did that. It on. The, something like that. He was. I think that's a, that's a really good pick. I might also go, um, I don't know, I, I, I like your pick. Joel Ward in that playoff. That's a good one. I just I knew it was Joel Weber late. I just had to look up like I couldn't remember the exact year he did it in. 
that was a that was a very fun series. Even though Nashville was overmatched in that, that was so much fun. Uh, number four, the Capitals, the Stars, the Predators, and the Sharks are all up two games to none. What are the odds that uh, we see two sweeps in the playoffs this year? Give me a percentage. I think pretty low. I think the Stars sweep. 34%. So slightly more than a third. Okay. I like it. I'm going to go I'm going to go lower. I'm going to go 25%. 25. Okay. Um not even 10%, really. No. I'm with you on the Stars. Um the Sharks aren't sweeping the Kings. I'd be funny if they did. Yeah. Uh, oh, you would never hear the end of it. I, mean, I wouldn't want to. <laughs> I'd, I'd be the I'd be the one not the one, ending I it. I would honestly be worried <laughs> about the Sharks because that's their Super Bowl at that point. You swept oh. the Kings. Sad for them. Yeah, it is. Uh, the Capitals. I don't see them sweeping the Flyers. I think the Flyers at least get one. I'd love to see them tie, but I think they at least get one just because of the whole Ed Snyder bit. The Predators and the Ducks. I'm not sure about because I don't think there's ever. I don't think there's been a point in this series so far where we felt that Anaheim was the better team at five on five, and that's like. I mean, that's not just me being an absolute homer on this. I don't think the Predators need to have a need to trade penalties to do what they do. I think the first ten minutes of Game Two, they were they were the better team five on five. Outside of that, you're right. I think the Predators have been far away the better even strength team. I can't honestly predict a sweep. I think Nashville splits at home just because Anaheim knows their backs against yeah, the wall. I, if the Predators take uh, the game tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, or rather they say the game four, I yeah. should say, to be fully professional, <laughs> uh, I, I think that they can secure a sweep. Uh, I don't necessarily anticipate that. I think Anaheim is... is I think Boudreaux is going to have have a kind of a change-up or some kind of trick up his sleeve coming to Nashville. For his sake, I hope so. Just going to like Bruce Boudreaux, but I don't, I, don't, I don't see Anaheim winning the series at this point. Number five, aside from Nashville taking both games in Anaheim, what series or what playoff narrative has surprised you the most? I, narrative surprised me the most. I said, like, what, is, there a, is there a series lead? Oh, I didn't see that coming. Or, wow, I didn't... Um, I, I, I literally have this written down. San Jose, two games to the Kings. Definitely did not see this coming. I have that written down. No, I don't think anyone really yeah, saw no, that. I, I, well, I, no one saw that coming, much like no one saw Nashville going 2-0 in Anaheim. No one saw that coming. No. Uh, so it's sort of like California. Southern California's getting beat up, and it's funny. Vegas had the Kings and the Ducks, I believe, as two of their favorite teams to make it to the Cup Final. Oh, there's tons of people out there who are who are just doubling down on their, well, Ducks are down 2-0, but... I'm going to stick with them as my cup team. I will say, excitingly, my, my Ducks in seven is still not blown out of the water yet. That's still possible. <laughs> no, it's still possible. And it, it's the only probable um, it's the only probable scenario if Nashville wins one game at home. I think, what, the, what are the stats? Like, is it in the 70%, like 76% or something? It's higher than that. 80-something, yeah. 82%? If you, when, when, the, when the road team wins the first two games, ooh, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty good. Okay, just for the, just for the heck of it, uh, Stanley Cup playoff odds as of right now, so this is after uh, this is after the games. And the Predators are now eight to are now uh, ten to one to win the cup. They started the playoffs in like the twenty fives. Okay, that's the, the twenty fives. Yeah, they were like twenty five, twenty seven. What is some right around there? Do you, so do you have all the teams pulled up there as of right now? Yeah. What, what is Minnesota at right now? Minnesota right now, they're not the lowest. The twenty fives. Actually, they're at seventy five to one. The Flyers are at a hundred to one. The the Wild have a better chance the according to that Flyers. than the Flyers. Yes. No well, way. you have to remember that these guys who run the betting things, 
they're not really hockey guys at all. No, like they're, they're not analysts. They're not even guys. sports. They're numbers guys. They're not even sports analysts. Sure. Whatever moves the needle. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's uh, people who quote the odds. It's fun. It's just it's entertainment is what it is. Yeah. It's no. It's not insight. So Torchetti has that on his. Look, guys, seventy-five. We're not as bad as the Flyers. Is that that uh, gonna do it for you? Is that gonna do it for you? <laughs> it's just coaching a bunch, style. A bunch of guys in their thirties just looking at him like. Uh. <laughs> so. Uh, I could be mowing corn right now. On an empty farm. <laughs> so it's planting season. I must go. So I, I, I've mentioned this before. I mentioned this about once a year. One of my favorite nights on Twitter in the history of Twitter was the night that Ryan Suter joined Twitter, and it was like a Ask Suter. Chris Link put on a show to the likes of which I have never seen replicated. What What was asked? <laughs> You asked him like legit oh. farming questions, like I don't really have a question. Could you please send help? Like, like bull weevils Lo- reading my crops. Lo- Locust reading my crops. Yeah. <laughs> well, he said uh, he had a Q and A, and so I asked new questions. Like, did you not? Did you not see that one? I missed that. No. Oh my! The 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 crown jewel of that um, was I asked uh, Ryan. I said Ryan, what do you, what do you miss most about Nashville? Is it the food or your integrity? <laughs> and then literally, literally five minutes later, he just stopped. He never tweeted again after like. Can you dig this up somewhere? How I I don't know. I, I it's, it's it's I'll see what t- I can archive do. somewhere on Twitter. Sure, I'll see what I can do. But it, it was um, <laughs> it was up there. Uh, like <sighs> as far as like the Taj Mahal of Twitter moments. Uh, rather large week in Nashville when it comes to uh, hockey and uh, and the kind of the, just the general perception of this team. Uh, just a simple split at home would give them a three-one series lead. That's the bare minimum that we're asking here at this point. Is if they get a three-one series lead, they roll into Saturday uh, with three chances to three chances to win. With the first coming Saturday night, which by the way, Saturday, if, if uh, you're listening out there, if you're around the Nashville area, uh, Brewhouse South, just next to uh, Cool Springs Mall, having a little bit of a viewing party. Uh, we don't have any assigned seating or anything like that. Just try to fill the place up. Uh, hopefully, see a lot of you there. Uh, I know Jason's going to be there. Um, I'm going to be there. Uh, I believe Sergeant's going to be there, possibly. So we'll see who else shows up. But um, yeah, we'll just come around, just have a good time. I don't, I don't want everyone to just to be like, "This is your corner of the room." No, no, <laughs> just everyone, everyone mingle and everyone have a good time. Um, so three games possibly this week, but uh, let's 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 think more like this. I think we're all in agreement, and hope trying to avoid just being a blatant homer here. The Predators are winning this series at this point, right? What are the What are the odds you say the Predators are winning this series? I I, I would I, probably go with eighty-two percent. I really don't want to say. I, I am I am so, so incredibly superstitious. Oh, yeah, because this is totally going to turn around and, and bite us. I know. If we, I, if I know, do it. but I, I, I can't even if speak it, the words. If this were any other week, I mean, we, we would be pretty good. We, we'd be like, oh, Predator probably 2-1 and one or 1-1-1, one, one and one, you know, if yeah. this was regular season. Yeah. For asking the Predators to go 2-1 and one in the course of a week is the minimum you should expect. I yeah. mean that's that's a team aiming to be over 500 that you need to make the playoffs. Uh, so that's what I expect. I expect if it's a two and one week, I'd be like, yeah, good job, well even done. If, even if they go two and two, that's fine. I think because, because if they have, they just need to avoid going four and one, yeah, or going or pardon one and four, right? I, I think um, I am still I still have nightmares of a of, of a lot of different playoff series, but in particular. Game five of of twenty ten. I I can't get it out of my head. I really can't. And and that 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 is what sticks with me. And is this going to be another game five? Is this going to be another another blown opportunity? They have to have a whole bunch. They have to have four game fives in a row almost. I, I realize that. I, I I know. But that's that's what I keep going back to. And and that was a that was a dark place as a Predator it, fan. It, if 
the Predators go out and they win to, on, on Tuesday. Yeah. It's the day they're playing. Wow. Uh, I fully expect to win the series. They have to go out and they have to win Tuesday, and then I will. Then they're going to win the series. Yeah. It, it's so uncommon for teams to come back and win four games in a row uh, that I believe a team with the talent and with the coaching and the support the Nashville does, I, I think they have they can secure and lock it up. If they lose tomorrow, I think anything could happen at that point. I really think anything could happen. So tomorrow's game, I think, is so so important because just emotionally like mentally what it does to the ducks yeah also i mean if you're playing with a 3-0 series lead you're focusing on one thing and that's winning the series not winning a game winning the series mm-hmm. you know you can focus on just you don't have to be like okay and then the next game the next game you can play your game you can focus because it's been working it's been going in your favor um you just have to maintain focus and you're going to find success so you said 82%. I'm going to go like 65%. I was trying to, I'm trying to vaguely quote whatever I read that said historically. <laughs> oh, you yeah, know, I, I was trying to be cheeky. I, I trust Micah Blake McCurdy when it comes to like graphs and charts and stuff. And he has the Predators pretty high after winning the first two games. Uh, he viewed Nashville as a much better matchup than, um, than uh, Los Angeles. And that was encouraging for me. Um, I'm going to go, I'm going to go probably around 75% at this point. Um, I think that I honestly think game five is going to be your clincher. Um, I think Anaheim's going to find a way to get one of them in Nashville. I think that's just the reality of it. It's just, yeah. This is a pretty good Ducks team. Uh, I think they've got some questions. I think that uh, they're going to be motivated on probably Thursday night just to stave off elimination. But um, I think Nashville gets it to three zero, and um, that's going to be a hell of a party when that happens. I think. I think if they get three zero, they're going to go four zero. I'd love to see it. I think I, as I just, much as I would love to have a good, like, good just Saturday night where you know with all with the whole crew and everything, having seeing a serious sweep in Nashville would just be an, an awesome, awesome moment. I agree. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else before we close up shop and Lincoln's to eat dinner? Um. No. Yeah. I, I put uh, it like that, man. You know, I'm ready. Of, I'm ready to to eat something. Sounds great. You can find Link on Twitter at 3DLink. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexDarty1. You can follow myself on Twitter at DandyBradley. You can follow the show at OnTheForeCheck. We'll be back to you next week, hopefully with some good news. If not, we'll talk to you anyways. But this has been the Predcast brought to you by Lions on Internet Marketing Solutions, OnTheForeCheck.com. Everyone have a great week. You with your switchblade posse, I'll get my guns from south. We'll take to the yard like a cockpit.